Our next guest spent 17 years in prison battling drug addiction and is now dedicated to spreading awareness and getting people off the street. Frank Rodriguez. This place is the epicenter of Philadelphia's opioid crisis, the largest opioid drug war in the Northeast. And it's considered a severe epidemic, also known as trade. Look how crazy and sad this shit is. That this is just another normal day out here in Kansas. This is what it is, man. It's an animal tranquilizer that saves while getting you high and leads to both infections and severe wounds. Sleep on the streets, do drugs there. It's unacceptable. This is a humanitarian crisis. Pennsylvania's opioid epidemic, Kensington, is ground up. Walk out into Kensington Avenue and you can smell the rotting flesh. I see the drug addiction, I see the drug dealing, I see the violence, I see the poverty, but I think most of all I see pain. You know, that, that's what you see there. You see, I think, humanity at its lowest. Me overdosing is what made me get clean and, and changed my life. I have love, I have sympathy, I have hope for each and every single addict that I deal with in Kensington, each and every single one, because I was them for so many years of my life. I thought I was hopeless. I thought I wasn't worth anything. Welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast with host Teddy Tarantino. New episodes every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Don't forget to subscribe. All right. Welcome to Hell Has an Exit. Today I have King Frank, the Kensington hero. Well, thank you, brother. I'm good, blessed. Um, thank you for having me, first of all. Yo, I appreciate you so much. Just so people know, I just got to explain what had happened. Because I just feel like it'd be like ingenuine if I just try to like do it from like the beginning. So you came down here probably like two weeks ago. Yeah. Flew down here. We uh, gave out some supplies to Overtown and the homeless down there. Uh, we made some vlogging with uh, other addicts down there. We got like some great interviews with people. Um, I found you through social media on Instagram. From the beginning, you're like, yo, I'll be there. No problem. I'd love to do the podcast. And when I sent it to like the people that work on the show, they're like, oh, he'll be a great guest. And dude, you came out, you know, super genuine. We just vibe from the beginning. Yeah. We did like a two hour podcast. It was like an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. And uh, we had just did the new set, bought new cameras, got professional lighting and, um, I was telling everybody, like, yo, that might have been the best podcast I've ever done. Like, your story is incredible. Uh, well, and then uh, the battery died on the recorder and we lost the audio. So I was like, dude, like, I, I was like embarrassed. Like, damn, Frank, can you come back? Because yeah. we missed the whole point of your whole trip is to get the podcast. And uh, I really appreciate you coming back down and redoing the podcast. Absolutely, brother. Um, thank you for having me, like I said. And and I think that's growing pains. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's when we start doing something new, um, when we venture off, that's the type of stuff that happens. You know, like I, I shared, same thing happened to me when I first started doing my interviews. Mm -hmm. um, my mic cord wasn't all the way plugged in. Got an awesome interview with a brother who we ended up building a friendship and... Um, went home and, and downloaded the footage and realized my mic cord wasn't mm -hmm. plugged in. And uh, literally, I turned right back around in my car the next day and drove out there and redid the interview. And um, 
you know, it's it's one of those things. It's grown pains. Yeah, I I think I'm a, I'm at least the type of person who I won't make the same mistake twice. Yeah. So that had never happened before, uh-huh. where the the recorder died. So I was like, damn, at least I didn't make the same mistake twice. But um, I just want to say again that uh, meeting you and talking to you, and when we went down to Overtown, like you see a lot of people on social media do a lot of things, and like. Oftentimes, like I don't have people on the podcast that I don't know because mm-hmm. you just never know yeah. what their story is, what their true intentions are, what they're really about, yeah. if they're really in recovery or, you know, you just don't know. You're meeting these people on social media. So yeah. 90% of people on the podcast are people I personally know. I get asked all the time. But like I like when we met and when we went down there, there was like so many things from the beginning when i was like wow i really like this dude like you're really trying to help people there's a lot of there's something really genuine about your spirit and um i'm very pleased to have you back on the show well thank you brother and like i said um that sentiment is shared also Mm -hmm. when we were down there you know and the thing is is that um i've been on different podcasts and been on you know um national media and stuff like that I've been with people that do stuff for the camera and then I've been with people that do stuff and don't really want the camera to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something you did numerous times, you know, while we were out there where 100% there are people that you blessed that day that in 10 years, they're going to tell a story and be like, yo, there was this one day I was in mm-hmm. overtime. I was down and out and this guy pulled up on me and they're going to tell, and people mm-hmm. Maybe ain't even going to believe it. They're going to be like, he pulled up on me, he had a Bentley, uh-huh. and they were giving out <laughs> stuff. And then yeah. he pulled me to the side, and he did this for me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 100%, you're going to be part of those people's stories for the rest of their life. And I loved how, um, like I said, I've been around a lot of people that do stuff just for the camera. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I observed you doing out of the corner of my eye. Um, you know, and I was like, it just made me happy. I appreciate happy. that. And um, yeah, and like, I, you know, I was telling you, like, there was a time where I used to do this, like, almost monthly, mm-hmm. where we would get a group of people and we would go and feed the homeless and give them supplies. And normally, like, I had a system. And like, you could tell, like, when we went to Walmart that, like, yeah. we both had done this before. Mm-hmm. So it's like I had a system where I would get bags and then, you know, you would do I do like feminine products, you know, you do socks and yeah. just like the typical things that you need. And like I had it down to a system and I started doing it because my friend asked me to go a couple of times and he would post about it. And um, when he, I saw him do it, it inspired me to want to do it. That's like yeah. all I ever thought of it. And then I used to get like comments and messages of people being like, Damn, why do you always got to post about you helping people? Why you always got to do that or whatever? To the point where I almost, I kind of did stop doing it. Mm -hmm. Not as much in person, but I definitely stopped posting about it just because I didn't want people to think that like that was really my prerogative to like try to get likes or whatever on social. I mean, even back then, I didn't have much of a social media anyways. But um, it kind of like discouraged me from doing it. So like, how do you deal with that? Because a lot of people might think that not a lot of people, but people might think that, yeah. hey, look, you're exploiting these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're showing their face, yeah. you know. Yeah. So and that's something I struggled with at first, too, from mm-hmm. being an addict and being in recovery where we know anonymity is such a big thing um, when it comes to recovery or getting high. You don't want people to know what you're doing. 
And that's something I struggle with until one day, you know, in Philly, I was like literally one of the first people that was doing haircuts for the homeless mm -hmm. and haircuts for the addicts. And one day, a, a, a mother, excuse me, one day somebody took a video of me and they put it on social media. And when I ended up getting home, um, the mother of the kid that I was cutting his hair, he's not even a kid, he's a grown mm -hmm. man. She reached out to me and she said, yo, that was my son that you were cutting his hair. Thank you, first of all. And she said, I haven't seen him in four years, almost five years. I didn't know if he was alive or dead. And started asking me, you know, could you please do more? I know you go down there and do haircuts. Could you please maybe do interviews with people or or some more videos? You know, and then she added me to a Facebook group um, of just family members that have their people missing in Kensington. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize at, at first I was looking at it strictly from an addict's point of view. And like for the benefit of the addict, like, okay, I don't want to air nobody's dirty mm -hmm. laundry. And then I started to realize, damn, everybody down here, they have five or 10 people that would absolutely die just to know that they're alive, you know, mm -hmm. would give anything just to know my son, my daughter, my father's alive. And then that's when I started doing it. And I just realized, you know what, um, people going to have, they're going to have something to say mm -hmm. regardless. You know, people talk. That's just the way it is. Yeah, and I think even, like, myself, like, I kind of got over it. And, um, like, I just want to reiterate, like, what you said is that you were going down there for years doing haircuts and doing all this before ever posting about it or anything. Mm -hmm. And um, you even mentioned to me that, like, because your content, like, a lot of people might think that you make all this money off YouTube. Yeah. So it's, like, because your content is so... Uh, uh what's the word gruesome and, yeah, graphic. And, and graphic that youtube doesn't pay you money for 99 percent of your videos because yeah. it's graphic and they won't monetize it so you're not making any money off yeah. your youtube no uh you tell me you go down there almost every weekend yeah way too much yeah um, you know where because it, it's crazy because i remember when i was hitting you up you're like my bow's in kensington all day i'm like wow that's crazy you're yeah literally I'm, there every weekend i'm there you know so a lot of people don't know, and and I and this is something where once again that I'm glad that 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 hiccup happened with the audio on the first mm -hmm. one because it's something I didn't get to touch on in the first interview, where you know I just buried my sister a couple months ago, my baby sister um, from a fentanyl overdose, that she you know w was down there in Philly getting high, and you know it just happened to be her time, um, where I I think I was on this plight where damn I couldn't save my sister. So maybe I can save somebody else's sister, mm. you know, um, and and that, you know, I'm I'm down there way too much. I, you know, where it's it's, I, I'm lucky that I have the wife I have. I don't think a lot of other women or family would even, you know, be able to put up with that. There's times where my wife, when she was pregnant, you know, with a brand new baby in the car, um, she'd be in the car while I'm outside doing interviews or or just doing haircuts or whatever it might mm. be. Um, you know, she's supportive of it. And for me, a lot of people look at it one-sided. They look like, damn, you're going to help them. You're going to help them. They're helping me just as much, yeah. if not more than I'm helping them. They're keeping me grounded, keeping me green, reminding me exactly what I stand to lose. If I think for one second that I could juggle drugs mm -hmm. and having a, a productive life that just don't work together. Yeah, absolutely. And like, um, I think anyone that makes like a commitment to like constantly help people, you know, like it's crazy because like I, I've been in like the nonprofit world mm -hmm. and you would think like in a nonprofit, they're 
just be people saying like keep doing what you're doing but it's like yo there's people judging the nonprofits. there's yeah. nonprofit wars where like this nonprofit doesn't like this nonprofit, and it's <laughs> like you would think and and uh like like you know our friend was telling you the other day it's like mm. it's like you would think that this was like the place where there's like least judgment and sometimes there's like the most judgment most. and it's a lot of sick people because um there's a lot of people that are using this to go through their own stuff that they haven't dealt with you know through therapy or anything like that and yep. there's a lot of em emotions that get involved but at the same time it's like when you're down there helping the homeless and and taking pictures and videos in my opinion like they know the camera's on them mm -hmm. so if they didn't want to be on camera they would be like yo i don't want to be on camera you're interviewing people that are willingly want to share their story yeah. because a lot of them are like, this is the only thing that's ever going to be out there of me. Yep. This is, and a lot of them are like, I, I hope someone could watch this and see that this could happen to them. And, and it's learn from it. And it's something that they feel noticed because even like when I was on drugs or whatever, like I'm not scared of homeless people. Mm. Like I've been on a date before, and we're walking down like Miami or whatever. There's like a homeless person, like the girl I'm with, be like, ah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like to me, like I, I've, I've used with people that are homeless. Mm -hmm. I've caught from homeless people. Like I've been around them enough, and um, most of them get that reaction from people of like, oh, like get away from me, and like just to have a conversation with them, and it's like, a big like deal. is a big deal for them. It might be the only time someone's ever said, where are you from? Exactly. Bro, when you're using out there on heroin, no one's asking you where you're from, no. or like, what do you do for fun, or like, 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 what, what was your childhood like? Yeah. You're, How you're did looked this happen? at like part of the landscape. You're looked at like the fire yeah. hydrant, the stop mm -hmm. sign. You know, that's what you're looked at. And that's on a good day. Mm -hmm. Every other day, you're looked at as, damn, there's scum, there's trash can. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's that's the way you're looked at. Um, so a lot of times, just to have those conversations, tell them, yo, mm -hmm. I know what you've been through. I know what you're going through. I've been there. You know, and we don't even have to talk about none of that. I'm not here to tell you what to do, what not to do. How's your day? How you doing? Mm -hmm. What's up? You hungry? No? Okay, cool. What's up? Talk to me. You know, what do you like to do? What mm -hmm. would you like to do? You know? Things like that. Um, people love it. I just have a brother that I've been working with for the past five years. Um, you know, he just died a week ago. And his mother, you know, and I've met his mother. I went to visit him in the hospital numerous times. He was shot. He was stabbed. Everything happened to him mm -hmm. while he was in the streets. Um, and I met his mother, went to visit him in the hospital numerous times and met his children. And, you know, his his family, now they thank me. They're like, thank you because we have these videos, these interviews. Even if it's not the way we wanted to see him. We still have them. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to forget his voice because I could turn on that video yeah. and hear his voice, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and they, they're just like, thank you because you let the world know that he wasn't just a drug addict. Mm -hmm. And then they see all those comments there and be like, damn, thank you, Gene. You helped to make my day brighter. You helped to remind me what it is, or you know what? Watching this makes me realize I need to do more or I need to do less, whatever it mm -hmm. might be. And they realize that their loved one impacted the world, you know, it, it, and it didn't have, they didn't have to make a crater size mm -hmm. hole in the world, but they still shook up the world in mm -hmm. their own way. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and it's also like interesting because you're going there with no agenda. So like a lot of times when I would watch like intervention or like anything like that, mm -hmm. it would be like they're trying to get these people to do something for the camera or yeah. they're like painting some narrative or they're trying to create some type of drama. And it's like um, I could tell from like watching your YouTube channel that like is like purely just 
we're just going to videotape like whatever happens today and we're going to talk to people and we're mm-hmm. going to love on them and uh like whatever they want to say they can say whatever they don't want to say yep. and um what do you do when someone reaches out to you? Because I didn't see I, when you told me that people reach out to you wondering if you've seen their family member. I had no idea how many it was because you yeah. were showing me on your phone. You're like, look, someone else. Look here, another person. Every single day, every time I wake up, it, and it's gotten to the point where now, if I wake up in the middle of the night, um, I go to the bathroom, I'll check my phone, mm-hmm. and I look. I'll go on Instagram, go in my DMs and stuff, and I'll have messages from people. Um, a lot of times, I, you know, I haven't seen their family member. Um, or they send me pictures and it's pictures prior to their use. And I tell them, look, those looks and mm-hmm. that taking care of ourselves and hygiene that goes out the window very quick, especially when you're in Kensington. Um, and I tell them, look, I, I can't promise you anything, but what I can promise you is that the next time I go down there, you have my word that I will show people that picture. Mm-hmm. I will show people my phone and be like, yo, have you seen such and such? Have you seen such and such? That I'll do that. And the people know me and they know what I'm doing down there. They know my that I'm not down there, you know, trying to get anybody kidnapped by their family or anything like that. I'm just trying to let them. Where plenty of times they'd be like, uh, you know, I found people and they'd be like, yeah, don't tell my people. And I'll be like, I'll be like, look, I'm just going to tell them you're all right. I'm not going to tell them where I seen you. And they'd be like, okay, you could do that, you know, and, and just let them know. And, and, you know, on the flip side of that is it's not always good either. You know, mm-hmm. um, I have people that will be like, oh, why are you recording, blah, 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 you know, and, and get upset. And and I understand it. But I also tell them, well, you're upset for a camera's lens to see you, but you're not upset for the little kid that lives in the neighborhood to have to walk past mm-hmm. you or walk over top of you on the way to go to school. Or you're not upset for the old lady that lives, you know, on that stoop mm-hmm. that you're you know, you're getting high on her porch and, and her niece is coming out and sticking herself with the needle. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not upset that they see you, you know? So we, we, I'd be like, we can't have this both ways. Yeah. And it's like, know? yeah, there's people that live there that are seeing that all day long, driving through exactly. it, seeing all day long. And like, uh, not to bash the city, but it's like, uh, like no one else is doing no, nothing about it. Yeah. You well, know it's what I mean? perfectly fine to bash the city. I think they, <laughs> it's well deserved. Yeah, all right. You know, there's, there's families that, Anybody that lives in Kensington, they're hostage in their own community. Mm-hmm. It's it's an extremely violent community. Um, there's shooting there that happens on a nightly basis. There's homicides that that happen on a regular basis. You know, and we're talking. I'm not talking about dudes that's in the street. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about innocent children, eleven months old, two mm-hmm. months old. You know, two years old, stuff like that. Um, it's 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 hell. And it's like that because it's a low-income neighborhood. And when mm-hmm. I see the cops do nothing, um, I tell them. I say, yo, you wouldn't like that if that was on your block, would you? If somebody was shooting up on your corner or somebody was selling drugs on your corner, you wouldn't go for that. Yeah, it's only so, because it's here. Yeah, so I said, why why mm-hmm. allow that to go on to somebody yeah, else's Yeah, if someone community? was smoking crack at y- in your neighborhood on the corner, you would uh, they go to jail. Yeah, mm-hmm. after you put your hands on them. Yeah, probably. for sure. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I just... A situation, I, and I'm glad I got it all on video, and it's just one of numerous instances where a cop, he was training a female cop, and you could tell she was mm-hmm. brand new. The guy was nodded off, so he just literally tapped him, you know, like mm-hmm. that, and expected dude to to wake up and hop up. And as soon as he tapped him and he got no response, he told the female, he said, all right, Narcan him. And I went and intervened. I said, hold, hold, hold up. I said, you don't do that. And I woke dude up. All it took was mm-hmm. I tapped him, you know, a firm tapping. And he got up and he gathered himself and 
gained his mm-hmm. bearings. And I said, yo, you don't do that. I said, you don't understand what you Narcanning somebody. Narcan is only to be used to save somebody's life. It's not used to be weaponized or mm-hmm. to punish somebody because they didn't get up when when you just lightly tapped them. Yeah, you, you know? talked about that last time. You, you said yeah. something that I've never heard before, weaponizing Narcan. I've seen it done. I've seen a cop. Dude was standing up. Mm-hmm. So he obviously wasn't overdosing. He was nodded off. He was standing up. And the cop sneakily, like, reached his hand over, sprayed it in his nose, mm-hmm. and then turned around and, like, rushed off. And I caught the whole thing on mm-hmm. video. And I was like, damn, you know, like now you you Narcan that person, right? So you're putting that person in, in withdrawal. Yeah, in extreme withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're going to feel the need to get high. So they're going to get high again. And they have that Narcan in their system. So all that... Those drugs, those opiates or whatever mm-hmm. they're using is just going to pile up and pile up and they're not going to feel it. So they're going to use twice as much as they should. Mm-hmm. And then when that Narcan wears off in 15 minutes, all those drugs are going to hit their system at once. And they're going to need to be Narcan mm-hmm. then, um, all because of somebody weaponizing it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens down there with the police. It's, it's you know, I'm sure the, the numerous times that I've seen it... Um, Imagine how many, how many times, times it goes it's done. on. Yeah. It's not on camera. Exactly. Uh, you also talked about like the drugs there. So I didn't know. So just for people listening, so Kensington is a open drug market in Philly where people basically get high. That's a neighborhood that's known for drug use, mm-hmm. and um, probably the only thing next to it is probably something like Skid Row. Mm-hmm. And uh, even like in Florida, like Overtown is nothing like like you've seen Overtown. Yeah. It almost looks nice, right? Yeah, and it's it like like that's probably some of the worst parts that we have in Miami. Like we have some other areas, but it's nothing like the videos that I see of Kensington. Mm-hmm. And um, you were telling me that they have like different types of drugs. What are the different drugs they yeah. have there? So um, what they call is dope now is, you know, at one time it was heroin. Um, then fentanyl started to come around, you know, 2015, mm-hmm. 2016, fentanyl started to make its way in. And then after that, um, trank xylazine, which is a horse tranquilizer, it's given to cattle. You know, it's, mm-hmm. if, if a vet is going to, um, service, you know, a horse or a cow, they give them xylazine. So it's not meant for human consumption. So when humans use that, mm-hmm. it, it, when they shoot it up, um, it's not meant to be shot up either intravenously. It's meant to be given intramuscular. Is it an opiate? No, it's, it's just not. a tranquilizer. It's a tranquilizer. But they cut it with fentanyl. They cut it exactly. Okay. They cut it with fentanyl. They cut it with the other um with the other barbiturates and, and um trank. And what it does is it eats the way through the skin. It looks for the easiest way out mm-hmm. and it literally eats through the skin. You'll see people um with softball size holes in their arm, in their leg. You'll see people um, literally with the skin rotted off their limbs. Um, I just seen a guy, you know, um, yesterday who his forearm was completely ate up. It it looked, his hand looked fake. And that's what drew my attention is I was looking at mm-hmm. his hand and his hand just looked, it was like fat, but it was flat at the mm-hmm. same time. And it just looked fake. And then I looked up his arm and it was just hole after hole. And I'm talking, um, his hand was, I mean, his arm was super swollen, his forearm. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, probably like twice the size of your thumb um, and deep holes. You know, it just looked, you could tell that 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 arm, there's no saving it. That Mm -hmm. arm is is coming off one way or another. Either it's going to fall off on the street or, 
he's going to have it amputated. Wow. Yeah, and you were showing me videos of like, it looked like almost everyone had that. Mm -hmm. So when you're buying dope down there, is there a way to be like, like I just want like actual normal dope? No, so there is no dope down there. Um, There's no heroin. But could you get fentanyl without Trank? No. It's just, nope. So it's all like whatever we got. This is just what it is. So the thing is, is that people don't realize, um, and, you know, prior to me ever using drugs, I sold drugs. And and the way I equate it to people is you grab a pound of sugar, Mm -hmm. then you grab a pound of salt, then you grab a pound of baking powder, then you grab a pound of pepper, and you put it in a blender, and you mix it all together. Now separate it. Mm -hmm. That's that's what it is. Um, It's the same thing. You know, it's fentanyl, it's xylazine, it's it's different barbiturates, different psych meds. Mm -hmm. That's what they're putting in there. Um, the people that are getting the drugs, they don't know what they're getting. If you told the dealers on the corner, I'll give you a million dollars if you could just tell me 70% of what's in here, they're going to be broke after that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to get that million dollars because they don't know what's in there. They might know what they're putting on it, mm-hmm. and they might know what the person they got it from told them what they put on it, but they don't realize that thing done hit five or six different hands before mm-hmm. it got to them. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you think most of this is coming from China or Mexico? China by way of Mexico. So it's already been, you know, it's already been proven um, when fentanyl first started becoming a big problem in America. uh, The chemists and the cooks from China were brought to Mexico um, to get with the cartels and they were showing them how to cook up fentanyl. Um, and then once the Mexican cooks Didn't learn how need, to do it, they mm-hmm. don't need them no more. Mm-hmm. So they go back. But now the thing is, is China opens up all the businesses that can allow for one, you know, a hundred tons of, of this precursor, mm-hmm. which the precursor are just the ingredients to make the different drugs. Mm-hmm. So they have to set up these shell businesses in Mexico so that they say, all right, damn, this, this dude's bringing in a, a a, a ton of this every week. What does he need this for? And they say, oh, no, he has this type of business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the corruption in Mexico that everybody yeah. knows is prevalent. Yeah, I had somebody tell me, like, uh, this is about, like, cocaine. But I remember him telling me, like, dude, if they wanted to stop cocaine coming to the U.S., they would because they would just stop all the yep. other ingredients that you need mm-hmm. for it. And it's very obvious to find, like, look, this nail salon shouldn't be ordering 1500 kilos of acetone on a weekly basis exactly so those drugs are normally made in like europe and stuff like Mm -hmm. that so like that stuff is heavily regulated and it's easy to find out what type of other chemicals they're bringing in so it's definitely interesting to see how like because a lot of people think it's pharmaceutical Mm. which it was like fentanyl was a pharmaceutical at one point but now it's just synthetically made yeah it, it was um it's way past that point now you know at one time it was it was mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals was to blame for this mm-hmm. um, during the pill epidemic. Now, it's it's literally chemical warfare. Now, mm-hmm. when you're when you're dealing with these type of chemicals that are made by chemists and and by um, all these people that are like the top of their field, they're chemists, they're cooks, they're mm-hmm. you know doctors. Um, they're putting together these products that have millions of dollars worth of research into it. And they're putting together this product to be the best at what it can be. We're not beating that. Mm-hmm. We're not beating that. Not just that. It's like the cartels have billions of dollars at this point. Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, 
what is your story and how did you because it's, it's it's interesting to see somebody go from where you came from to like what you do now and mm-hmm. like you know the point of the show is like hell has an exit like people change their life around and it's like when i so i think the reason why i've always had like a soft soft, soft spot for like the homeless is like i've seen people turn into that like yeah. i've seen what it looks like before mm-hmm. so if you've never seen that you don't you you might just look at that person like how could you like people have no idea how someone gets to that point of course. but i've seen it i've mm-hmm. seen kids i grew up with my age end up with no teeth at 33 holding a sign yeah yeah so um you know i was born in in 1980 in in brooklyn new york uh the williamsburg area the south side which at that time was kensington before kensington it was an open-air drug market I remember seeing, you know, the lines of drug addicts getting in line mm-hmm. in the morning, uh, dudes on top of the on top of the buildings with with rifles and shotguns. You know, mm-hmm. that's it was New Jack City before New Jack City came out. Before crack, it was New Jack City with heroin. Um, everybody in my whole family was addicted to heroin, with the exception of my mother's mother. That's it. Everybody else, my aunts, uncles, father, everybody else was addicted to dope. So it was nothing for me to see people getting high, the spoons laying around, the needle, you know, the cotton ripped out of the cigarette butt. Mm. Um, it was nothing to see that. And I thought all that was normal um, until I got a little bit older and I started to realize, hold up, this this ain't normal. You know, me seeing my mom nodding off and she'd have a cigarette in her hand and the cigarette fall on the floor and I got to grab it before it burns the floor or before it burns my mom's hands. You know, that, that stuff was all normal to me because when we're kids, we think what happens in our house is pretty much normal. And then I started getting a little bit older and realizing, all right, this this isn't normal. Um, and uh, at a very early age, you know, I was I was selling drugs because my mom, my, my dad and my mom split up. My mom, my dad ended up getting shot in the neck um, and he was paralyzed. He was in a wheelchair and then uh, we moved to Pennsylvania and same behavior, you know what I mean? The, the, the location changed, but the same bullshit was going on. Um, so they split up and I was happy, you know, cause my father was, was very physically abusive to me, to my mother also. Um, you know, it was nothing to see my mom running around with, you know, black eyes and a neck brace uh-huh. and seeing my dad beat her up. Um, so I was happy at the time, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, that, that led to me, you know, um, having a chip on my shoulder and thinking that violence was the way to solve problems. And I just, uh, I just didn't know how to identify with my feelings. Anything that I felt negative, I thought, okay, um, we deal with it in a physical manner, you know? And, uh, that was, you know, that was the start of my path of destruction into my, to my teenage years, you know, where, I didn't even like to come home because I knew my dad was going to be there, um, you know, and, and chances are if he's upset at something, he's going to take it out on me or I'm going to see my mom getting high. Um, it, it was chaos to the point where, you know, for, for one time where I, I didn't want to come home and I was a kid, I was, you know, like seven years old maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up using the bathroom on myself and, and it was all because I didn't want to go home. I just didn't want to go home to chaos. And um, I came home. My dad, you know, ended up finding out. And he said, all right, go in the sink, you know, and, and wash your underwear. And I'm 
you know, a kid in the sink crying and, you know, washing my underwear. And then he comes, you know, grabs the underwear and, and you know, there was shit in my underwear and he wipes it in my face. Crazy. And my mom came and, you know, started arguing and then she grabbed underwear and tried to put it in his face. And then he ended up beating the shit out of my mom behind that. And I remember feeling so helpless. I was like, damn. Um, you know, and that was the type of stuff that was normal in my household. Um, and then, you know, they split up and I was happy because I said, all right, he doesn't have to put his hands on my mom anymore. He doesn't have to put his hands on me anymore. Um, and I remember coming home the day that he ended up leaving and the house was bare. There was nothing. Like it was like an empty apartment. You could hear the echo. There was mm -hmm. absolutely nothing, no TV, no furniture, nothing, no beds, nothing. Um, there was a couple stuff in the refrigerator. And I remember that night I was hungry and I was telling my mom, I was like, mom, I'm hungry. And I went to the, to the kitchen, opened up the fridge and, you know, there was like condiments in there. And uh, I came back out and I was sitting there and I had a bowl full of grape jelly and she was like, yo, you, you can't eat that. She's like, that's all sugar. You'll mm -hmm. get sick. And I was like, but I'm hungry, you know? And then my mom went and did what she did and, you know, found the way. Um, and that's, you know, what she did. And then growing up, um, you know, my mom, she was a functional addict. She was a, a heroin addict, but she went to school, got her nursing license and would, would go to work, you know, and, and um, provide for the family as best as she could. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she was... The addiction came first, obviously, you know. And um, so we didn't have much. We didn't have much growing up. When do you think you realized your mom was on drugs? Uh, I would say, I would say, so one time our house got raided um, and it looked like a movie. You know, they came, Uzis, black masks, shotguns. Wait, like cops or like no, other cops, drug dealers? Cops, cops. Okay. Um, and I remember they tore the house up, tore the house up. And my mom said that they were looking for my aunt. And we were sitting downstairs on the couches and they came down, you know, and they, they found some stuff and said, yo, what's this? And I remember seeing a needle and I seen, um, you know, stuff that it was in, it was in like a little jewelry box mm -hmm. that, that they, that they put it in. And they was like, what's all this? You know, um, and that's when I realized, I was like, all right, you know, this is different. Um, and they were, the way they were talking to her, they were like, look, you have your kids here. You know, and it, I was like, all right, there's, you know, there's something going on here. Um, and, but I seen all the clues prior to that. But that was like the first confirmation. When the dots connected. Yeah, yeah. That, that was like the first confirmation. And then numerous times she went to rehab. She went to, you know, mm -hmm. she would just be like, oh, I'm going away for a week or, you know, I'm going away for a couple of weeks. Did your friends growing up have the same thing going on at home or were you like ashamed about it? No. So a lot of my friends didn't. Um, there was a couple friends, you know, out of the friend group or maybe, mm -hmm. you know, 10 friends. There might have been one or two that did. Um, but definitely not to that level. Um, a lot of it was, you know, just mom getting high. She got to have it, you know, but, uh, to my house was, it was different. Mm -hmm. It was different. And then when did your, like, when did your street life start to take a hold of you? Um, very, very early. So I started selling drugs. I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, if that, um, 
you know, the, the first time that I sold heroin was I had put on one of my mom's coats and found, you know, a couple bundles in her pocket. You know, it might have been like five or six bundles. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, you know, I tasted one, put it on my tongue. Nothing happened. I didn't even know what was supposed to happen. I just seen that <laughs> shit happen in movies and was yeah. like, all right, that's what I do. Mm -hmm. um, I knew who to get it off to, though, you know, and I sold it to that person. I'm sure I sold it for less than what was paid for it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Where yeah. I realized if if I would have had to pay for that, I would have, I would have, you know, I would have lost money. Um, and that person gladly paid for it, asked me where I got it. I said, no, my aunt gave it to me. And anybody that knew my aunt knew that that was a possibility. You know, she was the cool aunt, too cool, mm -hmm. um, you know, but knew that was a possibility. And, um, I sold it to them, and by the time I got home, my mom knew. So that person literally, you know, called two people, and my mom knew. So when I got home, she's like, yo, you had my coat. Did you find something in the pocket? I said, yeah. So she sat me down. And me and my mom, we was always cool. Um, very, very, you know, we had a, a really good open relationship. Speak about everything. And she told me, she sat me down. She said, look, first of all, I want to tell you I'm not upset with you. She said, this is my fault. Um, if I wouldn't have had that in my coat pocket, you wouldn't have found it. So she said, I need to make that very clear mm. that you're not at fault here. You know, whatever happened, you're not at fault here. I just want to let you know, I know exactly what you did. I know everything to the point, how much money you got for it. You know, everything. Mm -hmm. She said, I, I know everything. She said, and this is my fault that this happened. And she like apologized mm -hmm. to me and was like, I'm sorry. Wow. Um, and all this time, you know, after that, I seen, okay, there's some money to be made. And to a kid, you know, I made, I don't know, maybe $500 or something. I seen, all right, there's some money to be made. That's and, a lot of money. Yeah. As a kid. Especially, for, yeah. And especially where I might have never, you know, the, the, the clothing that I might have got for the year with holidays and birthdays included might have been $500 mm -hmm. for the whole year. Um you know, so that was, I, I realized, okay, there's something here. Mm -hmm. And that's when I sort of hopped off the porch and started selling drugs. Um, and at first it was just to give my mom money, just to, to uh, you know, pay for, I used to put it in an envelope, mm -hmm. put it on top of her dresser and write on the thing, don't ask no questions. And mm -hmm. she wouldn't. She'd well, take it. And what are some anything. things that you and your mom would do? Because a lot of times, like, people don't see that there are people that are drug addicts that are still, like, loving parents. Everything. Everything. My mom, um, so she was present, but she wasn't really present. You know, she mm -hmm. still, um, she would still help me with my homework, all that stuff. Um, you know, if I was playing sports, she wouldn't show up at sports. And, you know, nothing like that. But my mom was still and she was and she was like type strict with me too mm -hmm. you know she was like no you're going to be home at this time you know um but she was still help me with my homework and kick my ass if you know if I'm trying to cut out of my homework or mm -hmm. if I'm not behaving if you know if the school caller she's still on my ass she still i think her even in the midst of being tore down by addiction she was still a uh, a hell of a mom to the point like I see moms now and I'll be like damn my mom was strung out and still <laughs> was a better mom than you you know yeah. um so I just be like man imagine if I would have got my mom a hundred percent you know like mm -hmm. 
things would have been a lot different. But I always, you know, we have to go the path that we have to go, you know, to get where we're going. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I said, I, I was selling drugs at a young age just to give my mom some money. And and she knew it. She knew it. I remember one instance, you know, she seen me with a backpack. And over the course of a day or two, she's watching me. She's like, yo, what's in that backpack? She's like, you didn't go nowhere without that backpack. Every single time you leave the room, you're taking a backpack. And I was like, it's money in there. And she's like, no, it's not. I said, it's money in there. And um, she said, she's like, no, it's not. I said, well, look at it. And she opened it up and it was a backpack full of money. Um, and she looked and she was like, where you get this? And I was like, I've been saving it up. And she said, let's go buy a car. And I remember. How much money was it? It was probably, you know, $30,000, 30000 $40,000. It was. And how it old was, were you? Uh, maybe like 13 at the time. That's wild. Um, and she was like, let's go buy a car. In my mind, it was like a car. I was like, I'm trying to go. You know, there was a, there was a big fair that was around the area mm -hmm. that would come once a year. Um, and I was like, no, I want to take you guys to the fair. And I, all I wanted to do was to take my girlfriend and my mom and my sisters mm -hmm. to the fair and buy them whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. That's how, you know, that just shows you like how young I was. We ended up going to buy a car. We bought a Chrysler LeBaron. Um, this was, you know, early 90s. Um, brought a Chrysler LeBaron. And then we went to the fair. And I remember, you know, it just felt so good to be able to tell my sisters, here, go buy whatever you want. You want fries? Go get fries. You want rides? Let's go get rides. You want ice cream? Let's go get ice cream. And you're selling butt at this point? Yeah, I was selling I was selling weed at this time. Um up to then though I had started to to sell a little bit of coke and mm -hmm. and dope around that time. Initially, it started with weed though. Um that was the first thing that I had started selling because everybody smoked weed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Once I once I once things had started to process into my head that okay. The thing with weed is that you need to sell so much of it. Yeah. Well, see, this is the thing, though. So in New York at this time, mm -hmm. um, mind you, I, I had moved to Pennsylvania. So in New York, there was weed spots everywhere at this time. You could go to the corner store, buy weed. You go to the video store, you buy weed. Everywhere you could buy weed. And they were giving it to, you know, I would go 12, 13 years old. And they give it to you. Yeah. Um, and at that age, up until I was 20 years old, I looked like I was, I was a very small kid, mm -hmm. you know. So... Yeah, you're telling you look because in my yeah. mind you look old, but you were young no, no, and skinny. No, 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 no. I was very small. I didn't fill out until I was about 18, 19 mm -hmm. years old in the in the penitentiary. Um, so five dollar bags that I used to buy in New York, I would take back home and sell for twenty five dollars. So there was a big margin. Yeah, exactly. There there was a big markup, mm -hmm. um, and I knew everybody that smoked weed. You know what I mean? To the point where I was. I was the young guy, and I'm selling weed. You know, I'm supplying people weed. Um, when you were young, did people ever try you? No. So that's the thing. I, I was I was a knucklehead. Um, people knew very, from a very early age, because, you know, once again, it goes to being raised where I was like, my dad was kicking my ass. What are you going to do to me? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And at the same time, um, I, you know, I, I was a knucklehead out of the crew. There was... They knew, even even my homies, even amongst the crew, they knew it was like, oh, Frank's a knucklehead. You mm -hmm. know, they knew that. 
um, and then especially people from outside, where I didn't realize this until I got a little older, where people was probably giving me a little bit of grace because I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you don't realize that until you get older and yeah. you're like, oh, damn, people are letting me do, get away with a lot. Yep. Yeah. And it, maybe it wasn't even me, maybe just being like, all right, I know he's a knucklehead, mm-hmm. you know, where things wasn't off. I, I was also, I was never good at the confrontation part. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I seen me and you, we could have something that could be solved by argument. But as soon as I seen you pop up. it's a potential to get a little bit of crazy, I'm going to get a lot crazy. Mm-hmm. And my thing was, all right, if I make an example out of one or two people, then other people are going to quickly learn, you know, and that's that's mm-hmm. what would get me in trouble a lot um, at a young age is, is stuff like that. Just going overboard, mm-hmm. you know, um, being a young kid and, and trying to make example, trying to, you know, get those stripes on your shoulder, you know, where that was, that's what it was about is, is getting those stripes. So everybody know I wanted my name to ring bells, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it caused a whole bunch of destruction and pain in my life and in others. And you got arrested at a super young age Mm -hmm. for. Yep. So 15 years old, um, mind you, I had been to boot camps. I had been to uh, boot camps, uh, vision quest, uh, secure lockups, foster homes, um, juvenile detention. I had been to all that stuff numerous times, Mm -hmm. 15 years old, uh, summer's coming and summer's, summer's in the middle. I'm about to start a new school district. I got expelled from my old school for fighting with a teacher and I'm about to start a new school district. And I, I remember school's winding up. All my friends are talking about their parents are, are getting them uh, school clothes. And I was like, damn, I want school clothes. And um, they're telling me, yeah, I'm, you know, when we're getting ready for school, we're laying out our outfit for Monday and Tuesday before, yeah. and Wednesday. You know, I didn't have that. And I had nobody that was going to give me that. Um, but I said, all right, I'm going to go find it. Um, I went and did an armed robbery. And um, I was 15 years old. So at this time, um, in that area, there was a lot of robberies going off. There was a a, a a woman who had just got shot in the face, you know, got shot in the eye a couple of weeks prior. So police was out heavy. Um, we did the robbery. I'm running across the street, got the money bag, and literally the cop almost hits me. Um, I end up getting away. Two people I was with, they got caught, you know, a little bit after. I end up getting away with the money bag. And, um, How much money do you think it was? Uh, there was almost thirty thousand dollars. Thirty thousand, almost thirty thousand dollars. Yep, it was. It was like twenty five, twenty seven, mm-hmm. somewhere right around there. Um, and I took that straight to New York, and I knew what to do with it. You know, mm-hmm. I said, "All right, I'm going to take X amount. You know, uh, grab some work, and then you know, save this." Um, and it only lasted two weeks. You know, my my cousin, my blood cousin. Um, was the one she ended up telling on me, and um, was she a co-defendant? No, she ain't had nothing to do with it. She ain't oh, had nothing no. to do with it. So check, but the thing was, is she? But ended your co-defendants up, never snitched. No, nah, so they were they were on the tip like it wasn't me. Both of them were saying it wasn't me. It uh-huh. wasn't me. It wasn't me. So they couldn't say it wasn't me, but he was there. You know what I'm saying? So, um, my my cousin ended up telling me. She had a she had a drug problem at the time, so I would sell her work and you know break her down with a little bit of something. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So she ended up telling on me. And while I'm in the back of the but police why? car, so she could go and take the drugs that I had in the house and the money. Oh, wow. Yep. So I hadn't even left. I was in I was in a projects when they came and and, and snatched me up and I'm still in the back of the police car. Mm-hmm. She didn't know it yet. I'm still in the back of the police car. All the police cars had left. Um and I was still in one and I seen her um come inside the house and I thought I I was like, all right, she's going to make sure everything's held down. Mm-hmm. When I got my first phone call and I ended up talking to my girlfriend at the time, I said, yo, did Jackie give you that? She's like, no. She's like, Jackie said there was nothing. I said, what? I said, she went in the house. Mm-hmm. And then when I ended up, you know, going to court, found uh, out. Yeah, it was. Well, wow. was that like your first big betrayal? Or was that were you not phased by that? Cause I feel no. like that would drive me crazy, man. Listen, so my mom that same night when I got was that the first time that you felt like super betrayed, or was that were you um, like used to that? No, by family it was. That okay. was so literally when I had found out. So they needed my mom to to be there with me when they questioned me because of my age. Mm-hmm. So me and my mom found out at the same time. It was my cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, when they took me to. To lock up that night, my mom went home and, and rumbled my cousin. <laughs> she pulled up to her house and was like, yo, you told on my son? Um, and ended up fighting with with my cousin. And, uh, you know, for me, that was just, that was, that was like just the start of a mm. lot of, I realized that, you know, uh, nobody, you know, there's really no loyalty in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the start of it when I, you know, that shit hurt because- mm-hmm. I was like, damn, she didn't have nothing to do with it. She she did that strictly to take what I had in that house. She stood to benefit nothing. And now is she like a raging drug addict or not even? No. She just was no. she just wanted it. She That's just crazy. Yeah. It was it was more And like, then were the cops question questioning, like, where's the bread? So they did. They did. Mm-hmm. Um I told them, I said, look, I don't know. You know, and there was drugs in the house. Listen, when they came to the they house. They didn't take the drugs? So, look, when they came to the house, mm-hmm. I was selling a pound of weed to a dude. It's me and you sitting mm-hmm. right here. I'm selling him a pound of weed, and something told me, look out the blinds. And when I looked out the blinds, cops were in the front. And I tried to run out the back, and cops were in the back. And I ran upstairs and hid behind, like, a prom dress <laughs> that the girl I was messing with at mm-hmm. the time had. Um, and they came and searched. And they looked and they didn't even find me the first time. I'm standing behind this prom dress and I'm a small kid. Mm-hmm. And then the guy downstairs says, no, he's here. He's here. I hear him say that. And they come back up and double. And then that's when, when they find me, um, they didn't even bother. So literally when in the course of me scrambling, when they came, as soon as I seen that the cops were out there, he hopped up off the couch. I hopped up. I grabbed everything that was on the table, stuffed it under the couch. Mm-hmm. And then when I went upstairs, there was more drugs in there, and I put it inside a sneaker box mm-hmm. um, that was inside the closet with me. They weren't there for drugs. All they were there for was to get was the, to get me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So they, so didn't, they didn't even no, they didn't even bother looking just, for drugs, anything. They probably, to be honest with you, they probably just had a body warrant, you know, for yeah. a warrant for arrest for this person. Yeah, um, where they I, they probably couldn't even have searched the crib, you know, legally. Yeah, yeah, they should have. Yeah, they should have because uh, not only you know there was still money in that house, but there was also drugs. 
Um, thank God they didn't, though, you know. And I just realized that day, like, when I heard the dude saying, yo, he's here, he's here, I expected that. You know what I mean? It was a dude I, I didn't really know him like mm-hmm. that. Um, we was doing business. I expected that. I didn't expect my cousin, though. Hmm. And how long did you do in jail for that? So I got certified as an adult. It came out to being a little bit. How? I had already been through the bullshit juvenile. I had so I had already, you already exhausted all my remedies. Okay. Exhausted all my remedies. So they said they took me. It's called a certification hearing to be certified as an adult. Mm-hmm. So they said they even asked my opinion. They said, yo, uh, you have some input. What's your input? Um, I told them, I said, I want to go to jail. I don't want to do no push-ups. I don't want a jail instructor telling me I need to run miles, mm-hmm. all that shit. Send me to jail. I want commissary. I want visits. I want TV. I want walk, man. You know, all that shit. Um, and that's what they did. That day, I went, you know, they certified me as an adult. Um, they said, Mr. Rodriguez. You're talking about jail or prison? Jail. Okay. Um, so I went to the county prison. My county prison was different than others, though. It was a federal holdover. So people that were going to the feds mm-hmm. or coming from the feds that were held up for immigration were there. So, you know, I went to, at first I went to a, a, a RHU unit, lockdown because of my age. Um, they put me in essentially what would have been, you know, a RHU unit, a whole um, I get one hour out of my cell a day and I didn't know, but every hour that, you know, every time I get out of my cell for an hour, they had the, the jail psych that was in the bubble watching me and she was watching my interactions with people. So then after they let me out there for, you know, maybe a week, then now they let me go to yard with another jail block that, mm-hmm. you know, another cell block. They let me go to yard with them. And the whole time they were watching me. I just thought, all right, they're giving me a little more freedom, mm-hmm. a little more. Um, they're watching me to see how I interact, to mm-hmm. see, all right, is dude going to be a liability? Is he going to be somebody going to try to take advantage of him? Is he You're timid? 15? I was 15 at this time. Um, but I was a different fit. I was 15 yeah. years old. Mentality-wise, I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Size-wise, I was about 14, 13. <laughs> wait, <laughs> yeah. wait, wait. How long did you do in that jail? Uh, so I ended up being there for two and a half years. Um, How? throughout the course of, because isn't prison a year or more no 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 so in Pennsylvania they can it can be up to 24 months once you get 24 months you have to go after your sentence though you know what I'm saying so you could stay fighting your case for two years gotcha yeah I guess it's like the same here if you're still yeah. fighting your case so I ended up um, you know getting getting um, it came out to a, a little bit over two and a half mm-hmm. years a lot of people say they'd rather do that than go to, or they'd rather go to prison than be in the jail for yeah. two years. Uh, so it now, like what prison? Me yeah. now? Back then, no. Yeah, me now. That's what I thought too. That's mm-hmm. what I thought too. Because I say, yo, send me to, take me to jail. And then I got my first ass whipping. Um, it was over the phone. A big Chinese dude. At, he was Korean dude. He he uh he looked like the dude. His name was like Mun off Bloodsport. Mm. Big ass chest, big arms. I just, I just seen that pop up today. It's crazy. Listen, that's what he looked like. Mm-hmm. And it was all over the phone. I'm on the phone talking to my girlfriend, burning the phone up, mm-hmm. you know, for literally hour, two hours at a time. And dude say, yo, I need to use the phone. I looked at him like he was stupid. I was like, yeah, all right. Kept on using the phone. I get off the phone. Uh, one thing led to another. He ends up kicking my ass. Um, and then I come to find out you know, and, and the older Spanish guys, 
allowed it to happen. And they was like, in and now I realized it was like teach him a lesson, settle him down, humble him. Um, and then a Dominican dude who was he was somebody on the block. You know, mm-hmm. he he came and told me the next day. He said, "You know why that happened, right?" And I said, "No." He said, and he explained to me. He said, "Look, that dude just came from doing twenty years in the feds." He said he went to immigration court. They finally gave him bail. He's been here for three years. After he did his time in the feds, mm-hmm. now he's been th- here three years for immigration. They gave him bail yesterday. He was calling home to see what's up. Is did his family pay the bail? Because he thinks it's it's too good to be true. He say, "Yo, mm-hmm. you got to get me out of here. If you don't get me out of here, and that's the way we all think when we're going to make bail. Be like, you got to get me out of here right now, or it's not going to happen. Something's going to, you know, the judge going to change his mind. Blah, blah blah. That's what we think. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a nightmare, you know. So he told me that. He said, "Yo, dude was waiting to go home. You're on the phone, boo loving with your girl." And uh, I felt bad because I said, "Damn, even though dude just whipped my ass." Um, I said, the last thing I want as a convict is to see somebody in jail a day longer than they mm-hmm. should be. You know, I'm over here talking to this girl about nothing special. I've been burning up the phone with her for the whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, dude was just trying to call and see if his people are posting that bail. What's going on? Um, and then I, you know, I started to realize. And he seemed kind of polite in the beginning about it. He was. Yeah. He was. He said, he just said, yo. And, it, and he didn't say it super nicely. He wasn't <laughs> like, yo, excuse me, brother. Yeah. I need to use the phone. He said, I need to use the phone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, after he had seen me hang up and then dial again and yeah. hang up and dial again, um, you know, kick my ass. And, and that's when I realized that, okay, there's a big difference here between. Me, who I, I thought I was a man mentally, I thought I was a man physically, I was mm-hmm. a child. I realized that it wasn't even a fight. I was defending myself. And he was providing me with mercy because he could have done whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. He could have killed me in that cell. He was a grown-ass man dealing with a kid that probably weighed 135 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that was you know just one of numerous instances uh, that I had because of... The, the, you know, the tip where I was like, so I, you know, I boxed at a young age and I knew, and, and the thing also is I think once you realize is 90% of, of, I think being able to hold your own physically is just the will mm-hmm. to get busy, just the will to fight. Cause yeah. most people don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Most people think getting punched in the face is the worst thing in the world. It's going to hurt. You know, once you get punched in the face a couple of times, you'd be like, Oh, that wasn't bad. Yeah, and if you're not it. used to that, you'll never have it. Like if you don't have it at young, it's hard to have it. Like as, exactly. As an adult. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I already, you know, that was, that fear was gone mm-hmm. at a very young age where I was never one to be like, shy oh, to sc- fight or, or yeah. violence, violence. Yeah. I was, I was okay with violence, mm-hmm. violence. That was my language, you know? Um, what happened in those two, two years that changed you? Because, um, even with my own addiction, it's like, I don't realize it till I like became an adult where I realized like I didn't do kids stuff. And I know you were doing that before, yeah. but being in a jail with grown men molds you like what do you think happened to you in those two years that um when you got out you started to realize like you're different nothing nothing i started to work out Mm -hmm. um i started to fill into my body into my frame i uh i was around dudes that was hardcore criminals mind you these dudes were just came from doing 20 years in the new york state and Mm -hmm. all over in these federal prisons penitentiaries that's the type of dudes I was around. So I was being, I was learning, I was learning. And I was like, all right, you know, um, 
So it, it, it didn't, if anything, it, it made me worse off because all I was worried about is Frank, I, I need to go home with these stripes. So everybody know, yeah, Frank came home, Frank did this, Frank did that. All the girls is going to, you know, be going crazy. Uh, that's what my mentality was. Okay, I'm going to go home. I got to get some money. I got to do this, got to do that. That's that's how nearsighted, you know, that I, I was thinking. Um, and then I come home and, and shit didn't last too long. I end up catching, catching an aggravated assault, um, get into a situation and... Uh, end up almost killing somebody who it wasn't even the right dude you know they, they just had the same names oh, really? and it's and it's kind of weird because now his sister um she's like very supportive of me on social media with addiction because she lost her her son's father or her children's father mm -hmm. to addiction so she she loves what i stand for and the way i speak about addiction and i feel bad because i'd be like damn i almost killed your brother and it, and and the crazy thing was it wasn't even for him wow. they just had the same name um and i ended up going to jail getting sentenced seven and a half to 15 years at what age i was at this time i was 17 years old 16 years old seven, 17 now so you did two and a half then immediately went to go do seven uh, yep so i came home i was home uh you know maybe six what months. were those seven years like because now you're in prison yeah so i literally um so so when I when it, when I go to court and they start you know you first go to court mm -hmm. and they say ten years for this charge ten years ten years, 10 years. and my mom was like that's I, I heard process. Her. I heard her breaking down mm -hmm. and I was like and I had already known okay that's just what they say that's just what your charges hold that's not what I'm gonna get mm -hmm. and then the first time they came out with a plea bargain it was seventeen and a half to thirty five years and I was like oh. Hold up, hold up, hold. I, I couldn't process. It. I said, "I'm. I haven't even been on the world. I haven't even been on Earth this long. Like, how y'all gonna do this?" And then, you know, um, thankfully, it ended up being seven and a half to fifteen. Um, and I was like, "All right, let's go." I get on a bus to go upstate, and um, you know, I'm hearing all the stories about jail, and you know, and I had already lost that fear. You know, like I said, I, I didn't have that fear for violence, anything like that. Mm -hmm. But also in jail, until you go through it for a little while, that fear of solitary confinement, when you're locked in a cell by yourself for 23 hours a day, that's mentally it's torture. Um, I had lost the fear of that because I had already done all that stuff, you know, during during my past bit. Mm -hmm. So, But I remember I it was the middle of summertime, um, and I remember this shit clearly. All the yards are out and the jail holds, you know, five, 6,000 inmates. Mm -hmm. And all I see is this sea of grown men, shirts off, working out, playing basketball. And this shit was like a movie. They still got weights over there? Yeah. Hell oh, that's yeah. crazy. I think yeah. they got rid of all of them in Florida. Yeah. Uh, now they changed it, mm -hmm. but this was, you know, this was mid 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just see these big motherfuckers. And I said, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? Literally, that was my thought. And then as soon as I go in, you got the guards screaming at you. Because that jail had just been through a riot a couple years before that. Mm -hmm. So there was a riot, a vicious riot. Dudes running around with chainsaws and axes. And, and one of the, the counselors had got pregnant and raped by, by 
you know, and had no. twins. So it was during a riot, a counselor got raped during a riot um, and became pregnant. Yep. Had twins and kept, and them. kept them, kept them. Um, he got me fucked. Up. You know, That's they crazy. set the jail on fire. They when they wow. retook the jail, they had dudes outside. Uh, like a situation. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Handcuffed. You can look it up. It's on YouTube. Camp Hill Riot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was it went down. So the cops, as soon as you got there, they let you know straight from the rip. No, 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 no. This ain't, this ain't, this is my house. Mm-hmm. Y'all just visiting. You know, uh, they let you know that. Very aggressive. Uh, t- you know, talking, you, you, you know, real dirty. They just set the, set the tone very early. Um, and, and I was like, damn, this is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was there for, you know, so you're in quarantine for about five or six days. And then I get shipped to my block. Um, I'm on a maximum security block. The next day I see a dude get stabbed. Um, and I had seen violence, you know, seen dudes get cut there, but it was two dudes. They were, they stabbed the dude up until their arms got tired, you know, and there wasn't guards on the block. Uh, there's no guards amongst you. So they literally stabbed dude up until their arms got tired. And then, um, you know, they drug him out and you see dude and you're like, damn, I don't think he's going to make it. And then of course the rumor mill start, oh, dude died, you know, and the other guys, you know, something happened. So when you're doing life in prison or a lot of time and you kill someone in prison, is there a lot of those that go like unsolved where they're like, oh, no one saw shit? So back in the day. they didn't have cameras, yeah, right? Yeah, back in the day. Back then, you could get away with shit. But there's a whole bunch of snitches in jail. Okay. You know, so, so people are going to so, volunteer information. Because I always wondered, like, how do so many murders go on in prison? Yep. And like, aren't you, like, because I guess they, like, what other punishment can they give them if they already stay in there for life, right? Yeah. So let's say, so I've seen it myself. I've, I've stab dudes in jail mm-hmm. um and you know i'm i'm going to the hole for 18 months i'm that's, I have to, that's the punishment yeah i'm having i'm Even getting if they die no 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 no. thank god i i yeah, but i'm just saying like if no so no you kill somebody you're gonna do x more time in the hole first of all mm-hmm. and you're gonna catch street charges back in the day so if 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 you wanted to kill somebody in jail you better not do it where it's a public you better sneak up in somebody's cell where it's only no you and them, okay. you know, and put your work in. Because if somebody sees, if there's more than three people, somebody's going to tell snitching. on you. Yeah, because yeah, they have people that are getting some shit somebody from, gonna from tell the them. Exactly. Wait, but that's just so, it's just so crazy to me. It's because it's like people are already doing life, so they're just giving them more, mm-hmm. more well, solitary time. So the thing is, too, is when you get a life sentence, it's, it's not very hard to turn a life sentence over. Yeah, to get numbers, so you might get a twenty to forty if you get a life sentence. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? You, you, your hope is to get back in court, get back some time, and do fifteen, twenty years. Yeah, yeah. So now you'll get life, and you might get two life sentences. I got plenty of homies that got four or five life sentences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where if they beat two of them, they still got two more on their back, and then they got twenty years on top of it for the gun, and ten years on top of it for the armed robbery or mm-hmm. hostage, whatever it is. Um, so that's what they'll do. You know, and you see dudes get, I, I you know, I had to do a, a SMU program, special management program um, that, you know, I, I stabbed a cellmate of mine and that was a program. It's it's called a step down program. Why? What happened with him? Dude was 
touching my shit, um, stealing stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, so for me, I always, every time I go to jail, I'm hustling. I'm getting money. I'm mm-hmm. I'm selling drugs. I'm uh I'm gambling. Uh, I got a gambling ticket. I got a poker table. I'm always moving and shaking. Because so um, it's like you would imagine people go to prison. They're just like, oh yeah. Like I I mean I know because I've like seen so much stuff on YouTube and have friends who've been to prison. But it's like yeah. it's crazy how much game is in there and like so much like mm-hmm. racket nonstop Absolutely. that. You'll have people that watch this and have been locked up with me. And those of y'all that have been locked up with me, hop down in these comments and you're going to see they're going to say, and I'm not saying this at all in a braggadocious mm-hmm. way. It, it, it just goes to show how foolish I was thinking um, that that was my life. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to say, no, that's what he was doing. I was mm-hmm. in jail. I was a, a penitentiary rich. I had, you know, I'm sending home a thousand dollars a week. I'm mm-hmm. doing all this stuff. Um, and that's what your 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 thinking is, where that's what you're consumed of, you know, mm-hmm. like cigarettes and soups and chips and fucking candy, you know, like where you're like, man, that's what goes on, you know. Um, so I, I end up, dude was touching my stuff. Um, I waited purposely until, and I had noticed. So when you're in jail and you feel like somebody's touching your stuff, your cellmate or something, you set little traps. Trap, yeah. So I set a trap with a dental floss and the dental floss was moved. And I said, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I had my cabinet and I purposely, I don't put so locks you, on my stuff. So you put your dental floss in a certain way to know that if you put it back a certain way, it wouldn't be. No. So what I did is I had my cabinet and I never put a lock on my cabinet. This, this is my cell. This is my home for right now. I shouldn't have to lock my shit you know, uh, amongst men, I'm never going to go in your stuff. Not even if you tell me, yo, can you go in there and grab me? I'm going to, nah, I'm not going to do it. Really? No. So even if someone said, cause I'm always interested in like prison etiquette. Uh-huh. So it's like, even if someone said, yo, can you grab that from mine? You will never do it. Nope. And that's normal in prison. Nope. That's like, I might, I might tell them, I might take somebody and be like, yo, watch me. I'm going to go mm-hmm. on my, in my homie stuff just so somebody else's eyes are there. Mm-hmm. Um, to see, I'm not gonna do it though. That's just me. Mm-hmm. I'm like that with my wife. My wife say, "Yo, grab something out of my purse." I'm not touching it. Mm-hmm. It's not mine. You know, that's that's, that's one thing that mm-hmm. I'm just is 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 no no to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I I set my dental floss. So it was a cabinet. You lock the door, and it's it's you know a cabinet, metal mm-hmm. cabinet. Boom. So it'd be like a kitchen shelf, mm-hmm. and I put my dental floss on the top. So I know if be- he moved it my dental floss is going to be on the floor wow. or it's going to be inside the cabinet. Cause I know I left my dental floor. You mm-hmm. can't see a floss, a, a strip of dental floor. Little so piece. it's a real trap. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. So I come in that night and I see my dental floss is gone mm-hmm. and I'm standing there looking at my cabinet like this because I know now I got to move. I know. And I'm like, damn, I don't want to move. You can't I, trust them. Yeah, and when I say move, I mean I gotta move out on him. I gotta I gotta do something to him. Oh, okay. That's what I mean. You know what I mean? I gotta I gotta make a move. And I don't wanna do that. I'm having it my way in this jail. I'm getting money, I'm I'm getting visits, I'm on the phone, I'm, you know, I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm hustling. So I don't wanna ruin all that. Now is it just because it's disrespectful or is it because you can't operate with someone who you can't trust? So two or things. Both. For me, I felt um, it's disrespectful, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two um, is if you did that, what stop you from going and reading my letters? Mm-hmm. What stop you from looking at my family pictures? 
You see what I'm saying? I have to think the absolute worst yeah. because you already showed me you're, you're a piece of, of shit. Yeah. Exactly. So I can't make an excuse for you. Um, so I'm standing there. Listen, and I was staring at my cabinet for like 15 minutes. And I know he had to, in his head, was like, why the fuck is he staring at that? But he felt it. I know he had to felt that temperature change in the room. Mm -hmm. And I'm just standing there and I'm looking and I'm like, damn, man. And I'm just looking. I'm like, all right, this is what it is. So they come, they do count time 15 minutes later. And usually at the end of the night, you know, it's sort of a jailhouse etiquette rule. You shut the light off. It's time to go to sleep, time to watch TV, whatever you're going to do, relax, lights off. Mm -hmm. And I leave that light on and I sit down on the toilet and I always in my cells, no shoes, you know, no, you got to take off your shoes when you come in. My floor is all waxed, nice and neat, mm -hmm. cells spotless, immaculate. And uh, I got my, I, I put my shoe on, bang, bang. And I say, yo, get up. And he noticed the change. You know, he noticed. He picked the body. Shoes on in the cell means you're fighting, right? Means some Something's trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, trouble. Um, so I say, yo, get up. And he's like, what's going on? And I said, uh, why were you in my stuff? And he said, no, 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 I wasn't in your stuff. I wouldn't do that, Frank, blah, blah, blah. I said, look, fuck all that. I said, you was in my stuff. Why was you touching my stuff? And he said, no, no, no. I said, nigga, I set a trap. And he just stood quiet. And I said, mm -hmm. why was you in my stuff? And he's still, once again, no, 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 no. And then for me, I've always been the type of person where, like I said, I'm not good with the confrontation part. Mm -hmm. um, if I see it's going to get crazy, it's going to get crazy on my terms. Mm -hmm. And uh, we start rumbling. I go off on him. We start rumbling. Bam, 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 bam. We're fighting. I always, you know, keep keep a uh either either a razor or you know a piece of steel mm -hmm. and throughout the course of us fighting um i grabbed and you know that he probably has one too most likely or he could have most had likely. one yeah, yeah yeah most likely um most likely but for me it's always like okay i gotta you know it's let it off first yeah mm -hmm. I, I gotta go get to it first and as soon as as soon as uh you know i i stabbed him up he starts hollering for the guards you know, um, I gave it to him a couple times mm -hmm. and then now you hear other people, other people are yelling from the thing. Yo, 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 you know, leave him alone, leave him alone, Frank, you're going to kill him. You know, shit like that. They don't know what's going on, but you can tell you there's a change in somebody's voice. Um, when, when it's that type of situation, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a change. You, you, you can, and somebody's voice too. the screaming just turns differently. It's not like an anger screen. It's a screen like, like a pleading. Yeah. Um, and I, I stabbed him up a couple times. Um, and then I told him they could get on the gate and I said, call the cops. Um, and I told him like, he was trying to come back in. We, we were still in the cell, but mm -hmm. he was trying to come back into the cell. And I told him, I said, get on the gate, turn around, face the gate. I said, do not turn around because if you turn around i'm gonna take it as a sign of aggression i'm gonna give it to you again mm -hmm. you know and i had stabbed him up three four times um and he was bleeding and i remember seeing the blood running off his hand and puddling on the floor and i was like oh man then it starts settling in my consequences what did i do what did i do and i was like he's like oh i don't feel good i don't feel good and you see him getting pale you know and then uh, so at night once they do that last count they, the guards on the block can't open the cell. They have to get a lieutenant, 
Mm. then now they got to come with a video camera. So it's 10 minutes, you know, where if... Oh, if that was during the day, it would be... No, no, no. They could have opened the cell and got them right out. Mm -hmm. Um, They can't do that because that last count is secure. Protocol, after night count, uh, lieutenant, video camera... So if if I didn't sh- show him grace, I could I could have killed him mm-hmm. in the cell. Um, that's not what I wanted to do, you know. I just wanted to sort of teach him a lesson, be like, "Look, you can't do this." Um, you know, they come grab him, uh, take me out, and I always had a homie that had my pin code, had an address, and say, "Yo," because of the type of shit that I was into, was you know I could the potential to go to the hole at any time. Uh, you know, send this letter out, and then this letter explains, yo, this is what happened, and hop on the phone first thing in the morning and call my people and just let them know, yo, Frank went to the hole. I don't know what happened. Uh, call and check on him because if I go to the hole and it's, it's me getting into it with a guard, they're going to beat the shit out of me. So call and make sure he's all right, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's what happened. Go to the hole, end up. Uh, you I, stayed there for 18 months? 18 months. Yeah, I didn't even know that people did the whole freight. Because I thought like the whole was only for like 30 days, 45 no. days. So a lot of places, um, they have limits. In Pennsylvania, at the time, you could get up to, I believe it was six months for each each infraction. Mm. So I had a weapons infraction. I had uh, uh, assault. And there was a third one. I forgot what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so they... Shipped me out of the jail, put me in a program, SMU. Uh, your first four months of that, you don't have no nothing in your cell, no literature, no nothing. Uh, it's it's just meant to break you. So you're not allowed nothing. 23 hours? 24 hours someday. You get, you get a shower Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Mm-hmm. You get a shower. They take you with a dog leash, handcuff, shackle. Uh, they take you to a shower, put you in there, and you get about two three minutes cold ass water two three minutes shower same thing when they take you to the yard you go mm-hmm. outside in a leash um video camera you know you got to get naked before both of these things um and they're they're just trying to break you you know you're you're going through psychological warfare with your neighbor or somebody across the street because i'm playing chess and this guy wants to start rapping or talking to one mm-hmm. of his homies while we're trying to yell our chess moves across the so you, so you guys would yell chess to each other like yep this we make a board mm-hmm. uh you know drawn like on the back of a note tablet we make it uh we'd have chess pieces mm-hmm. and i have a whole chess set up and he'd have a chess set up and then we'd have to repeat you got to double you know you got to say it twice you have to repeat your move just so there was no room for oh i didn't say that Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then you have to write it down. And then after you're done writing it down, you say, okay, you got this move to that move because that shit gets heated back there. And you lose friends behind that shit. You know? Um, That's so crazy to think about. Yeah. And then you're, you're way, I can't get my hands on you because you're across the hall. And you said, oh, you know, fuck you, fuck your mom. Mm-hmm. I piss on your mom's grave. You got kids. Your kids can suck my dick. You know? So now I can't get my hands on you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my my, sh- my my toothpaste bottle or my shampoo bottle or milk carton and I'm going to beat off. I'm going to save my cum. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. save my piss. I'm going to save my shit. And anything nasty I could find, I'm going to put it in here and I'm going to let it I'm going to let it fester and let it cook up for mm-hmm. a couple of days. And when I go outside, I'm going to hide it, you know, in, in my ass mm-hmm. crack or on the side of my nuts. And I'm going to throw it on you. 
that's my weight because I can't physically get my what? hands on you, but I could throw it on you. What's worse than that? I throw cum <laughs> in your face. I throw piss in that's your face, crazy. shit in your face, mm-hmm. and you can't even get your hands on me. And I'm laughing, hot, nana, nana, boo, boo. And then what Got do they you. do it back to you? Nothing. If they're if they're not prepared. Okay. Because I don't let them know I'm going to do it. Yeah. I let them rock to sleep. You know, mm-hmm. be like, eh, all right, no big thing. And I'll, I'll wait a week. I'll wait two weeks and mm-hmm. kick back and be like, I see the right guards are on. Maybe they're not doing strip search mm-hmm. good. Today's the day. I'm going to get them. Mm-hmm. And I, yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I might even tell, he might be in the next mm-hmm. kennel to me or he might be in the one still across. So I got to wait for the right day to line up. Mm-hmm. And I might tell people that's because they go by cells. So if you're right next door to me, you'll be in this in the mm-hmm. dog kennel right next but door. But then will he not be seeking retaliation this whole time too? Yeah, but now I'm on my P's and Q's because I set the tone. Okay. So now I know I I, I can't gotcha. go out. Okay. You know what I mean? Even if so, you would give up your your time on the to go out. Yeah. You'd be like, okay, I got it off. I'm not going no. out no more. I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. What to get your shit off on uh-huh. me? Or if there's somebody in between us, mm-hmm. you know, I'll tell that person, yo, uh, if you if there's a time you're not going out, let me know. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So we don't be in the same. No. Or if if I'm going out, um, now I know don't get close to the gate. Mm-hmm. I got to stay in the back part. Gotcha. So he can't, you know, because if nothing. you don't get close, for, for him to get close, yeah. I had to call him over there. So mm-hmm. I might have called him over there and been like, yo, what's up? What's, what's that shit you said? Mm-hmm. And he starts talking and blah, blah, blah. And bam, right in the face, you know. In the so that face? shit going in his mouth. How many everywhere. times have you done this? A couple times. A couple times. <laughs> but and this is just shit. Listen, this is this is the shit that happens. That this is the stuff that people don't talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. And this is animalistic shit. This is like animals playing with their fucking feces. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You're digging shit out of the I've, toilet. I've heard. <laughs> You're yeah. digging shit out of the toilet to squeeze in a in a a, a toothpaste. You know, a little toothpaste container or a little shampoo or a milk carton. And you're playing, you know, that's the type of shit because you can't physically get your hands on. And you know, I'm never going to be able to physically get my hands on you. Mm-hmm. So I got to get you the best way I can. And what better way than that? You know, what do they call it? It's like a name for it, right? Uh, 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 fuck. It's, it's, it's like chemical warfare. That's, mm-hmm. that's, you know, I know like it's yeah. some prison. Let's like, get shit down. That's what it's called. We, we would call it like, yo, such and such got shitted down. <laughs> and when that happens, Listen, it stinks so bad. Because it's old. Because it's shit you had sitting for, for three or four days. That's crazy. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it, it's bad. It's bad. And then you have to, if it's in a shampoo container, you got to burp it. Mm-hmm. Because it, gas it's gases. Man. Exactly. So you got to let it oh, out. That's crazy. You know, it's 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 real sick shit. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's what that type of lifestyle brings. That's the shit that mm-hmm. people don't talk about, you know. You know, and and the thing is, is you're never always on the receiving side. I mean, mm-hmm. on the giving side. Mm-hmm. If you re- if you give, you're going to receive sooner mm-hmm. or later. You know, somebody's you're not Someone's always going to get be you. on point. Somebody's yeah. going to get you. What um, so that was seven years of that. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's crazy. So and when you get back, what happens? So I end up I end up coming out of jail. Um, and I come out. I'm doing good. I'm working. Mm-hmm. This is uh 2004. Um, uh, excuse me, 2003, the end of 2003, I'm, I'm working first mm-hmm. time in my life that I get, uh, like a job. Um, I'm doing good. I got my own little apartment, mm-hmm. girlfriend, me and my mom, my mom's clean at this time. Um, so we start to build 
the first time I've ever relationship. ever been around my mom clean. She got clean, you know, b- mm-hmm. before I went to the penitentiary. And your mom attributes getting clean to twelve steps and going to meetings. Absolutely, and stuff. my mom was meetings, uh, work in rehab. I just always like to work. share that because All it's that. like a lot of times publicly meetings is seen as like corny or there's so many yeah. celebrities who are like oh i'm not a 12-step person yeah. or whatever and a lot of people because of anonymity they don't really talk about 12 steps or like the people who aren't in recovery don't really mention it and there's a way to talk about it without like breaking traditions and all that yeah. and like i know so many people that the program has helped so like m- my thing is to try to get as many people as possible to see the benefit of it because there's still people using that have never been to a meeting before or even think that it's a practical they think it's like hocus pocus church stuff you know so exactly they they think it's almost like religious like cultish for me i always i always look at it like you know if if i want to become a barber i'm gonna hang around niggas that's cutting hair for sure if i Mm want to be an architect i'm gonna hang around dudes that's doing architecture Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Because a lot of people, so when I got clean, I always thought it was because I was weak and that like I needed to be stronger or whatever. And I didn't realize that there was a technique to it. So it's like if you've been boxing for 10 years Mm -hmm. and I've never boxed before, even if we're the same size and stature, even if if I'm bigger than you, don't stand a chance at all. You could say, yo, if you don't beat me today, I'm killing your whole family. And all that willpower is not enough. It would never. It wouldn't even be close. So I used to, because a lot of people think like, oh, you have no willpower. But it's like addiction is so tricky. If you don't know the technique and like the things that you need to do to to say no or to not get high, Mm -hmm. all these little things, it's never, ever, ever going to be enough. Of course. You know, and I didn't understand that. I just thought that I was weak. I didn't have any willpower. There was something wrong with me. I felt stupid. And it's like I was so great at all these other things. I just couldn't stop using mm-hmm. until someone was like, 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 let me show you, you know. It's, and it's really counterintuitive. You're never going to figure it out on your own. Yeah. No, you know, somebody broke it down to me like this. And they said, you know, addiction is is um is a byproduct of not having the correct coping mechanisms and not having the correct tools in our life to deal with what life's throws at us and it's I, I think that's the way it is for sure you know um, and once you've gotten so used to that it's like you know it's, nature it's like go brush your teeth with your yep, left hand exactly. you know it's just like yep. once you've done that for so long mm-hmm. once anything happens you don't know anything else yeah you know it's it's you know i i like to also say once we understand the learning process mm-hmm. so when when we're young and we learn how to walk we don't just get up and start running around mm-hmm. the house. We start to crawl. Then we learn how to hold our balance. Mm-hmm. Then we take a step or two. Um, then we understand. But we fall over numerous times mm-hmm. throughout the process. We fall down, bang our head, fall mm-hmm. down, skin our knee. And then that happens again when we learn how to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. And then it happens again when we learn how to read and how to write and how to drive and how to do other things in life. Once we understand the learning process and understand, okay, there's a way to do things. Mm-hmm. And we have to learn. And with that learning comes sacrifice, comes mm-hmm. consistency, comes discipline. All that um, comes failure, most importantly. Mm-hmm. Failure comes with that. Um, we understand that we could do anything in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, we just have to learn how to do it. Um, we have to have the discipline, the consistency, you know, and not be afraid to fail. And, uh, you know, so that's that's my mom. She was, she was in the meetings heavy. Mm-hmm. My mom still to this day you know is uh spoke about in meetings mm-hmm. so i i come home 
doing good. My sister was dealing with a dude uh, who was getting money. He went on to do 20 years in the feds. Mm -hmm. And um, one day I had the bright idea. I said, you know what? I'm going to take what he has. Um, and that's How long what were I you out? Uh, maybe, maybe six months to a year. Mm -hmm. Just starting to build a foundation. Mm -hmm. You know, just starting to get my, my feet under. Um, and I, I, I went and took what he had. Um, my mom was upset because she was she was disappointed. That's what she was. She was disappointed in me because I was doing good and now I backpedaled and fell back into the streets. And my mom always knew about me. She, so my mom's greatest fear was the cops was going to kill me because of the way I used to be. Um, that was her worst fear was the cops are going to kill me. Not, you know, I'm going to go to, she mm -hmm. said, no, 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 the cops are going to kill you. That's what's going to happen to you. Um, so I... My mom was upset at me and disappointed, and I didn't see it as that. I seen it as you took my sister's side. This is a brother and sister thing. You took my sister's side, not my side. Um, you always rode with me, you know, all that. So I stopped talking to my mom. Um, this was in October. Thanksgiving comes. Mind you, me and my mom are like this. What year is this? 2004. Uh, 2003, excuse okay. me. Um, the end of 2003. Like November, fallish, no, Thanksgiving, yep. Christmas. So, I don't talk to her. Um, and mind you, me and my mom are like this, even during the addiction. Just mm -hmm. got closer when she was present. Now, so I don't talk to her. December thirteenth is her birthday. I don't talk to her. Christmas, don't talk to her. Being stubborn. New Year's Eve, family sets us up. We end up being in the same room together. As soon as I see my mom there, I said, "I'm out. I'm out." My mom comes out on the porch. She said, "Look, I love you." I said, yep, I'm out. Um, the next day, something just didn't sit well with me. It said, you know what? I need to stop being stubborn. I need to stop being a little asshole mm -hmm. um, and go speak to my mom. So January 2nd, get dressed, shoot over to my mom's house. As I'm going in, she's coming out. Um, <clears throat> she had a porch, you know, a long porch. I said, damn. She's like, good to see you. I said, look, I want to talk to you. She said, hold on. I'll be right back. She said, just, you know, give me about a half an hour. I got to go pick up a friend. I'll be right back. Um, I'm still waiting for her. She never came back. She uh, she ends up getting in a head-on collision and gets killed in a car accident. Um, you know, next thing I know, uh, my cousin calls me, says the police are at the house. Uh, you got to go to the hospital. I go to the hospital. Um, did you think she was dead at this point? No, I thought it was a mistake. I, 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 I thought it was a mistake. I was in denial for a long time. Um, I get to the hospital and, um, at the, at the glass and I'm talking to the lady and I said, this is my name. This is my mom's name. They told me to come here. And, uh, I see a guy come around, he got a collar shirt on, and I read on his shirt, it said coroner. He had my mom's ID on his clipboard. And it was like, I was scared for him to get close to me, um, to get that confirmation. And uh, I got the confirmation. And then they say, yo, uh, we need somebody to identify your mom's body. Um, and got younger siblings, I wasn't going to let them do it. So 
15 minutes later, I'm identifying my mom's body. Go downstairs in the coroner's office. Um, she's sitting on a corner slab laying down. I'm, like, creeping around a corner. I'm scared to, like, break the threshold of the door. And I see her feet. I see the white sheet, and I see her feet. And I look up, and then they try to, like, clean her up. But, you know, she was in a car accident, so her head is split open. Um, and I just looked at her, and I was like, I still didn't believe it. She's sitting right there in front of me. Well, she's laying there in front of me. I didn't touch her. I didn't kiss her. None of that. I was just in shock. Um, go home. That night, instantly jumped right back into the streets. Up to then, I was doing good besides robbing my sister's boyfriend. Um, I jumped right back into the streets that same night. Um, I said, you know, my mom, she ain't had no money. Uh, somebody got to pay for this funeral. So spend the whole night grinding. Next day, I try to get some sleep. Sleep don't come. Every time I close my eyes, I see my mom on that corner slab with her head split open. Next night, the same thing, where by this time we made funeral arrangements, all that. Um, a family friend knows, you know, she she's seen the shape I was in and said, look, you need some sleep. She's, first thing she said, she's like, you ain't slept in a while, right? So I was like, no. She said, you need some sleep. Um, she gave me three pills and, uh, she was a nurse. She, uh, and she wasn't, you know, it wasn't like not, no black market shit. You know, it was mm -hmm. probably something that was prescribed to her. Yeah. Um, she was just trying to give me some, get me some sleep. And she said, what your experience is grief is common when people deal with this. Um, you need some sleep. So I took those pills and, uh, prior to this, when I was in a penitentiary, I had a kidney surgery and I had a couple of them, you know, even when I was home, I had a couple of them and I, I got prescribed Percocets, but I took one and I didn't like it. That shit put me to sleep. So up until your mom's death, you never had any type of physical addiction no. or any type of addiction. You're just hustling. Nope. Get money. Um, and just being a knucklehead, you know, um, streets was my addiction. Never, if anybody would have ever told anybody that knew me, Frank is going to end up having a drug problem, they would have been like, not at all. Mm -hmm. Even at the height of my addiction, people didn't believe it um, because that was the complete opposite of me. Mm -hmm. uh, and those, as soon as I, you know, ran through those three pills she gave me, in my head, I said, oh shit, I got those other pills in my in my medicine cabinet. I should have just thrown them away. Um, when I took the first one and didn't like it, I should have just thrown them away. Mm -hmm. I don't even know why I kept them. Um, I started taking perks. I was taking them at first to go to sleep. Then I'm taking them to wake up. Then I'm taking them because it's sunny, because it's cloudy, because I'm happy, because <laughs> I'm sad, because the wind done blew this way. Uh, taking them for every little excuse. And then I realized, damn, I got a problem. So I say, I'm going to stop taking them. Um, mind you, this time, I'm still in the streets now. Because once my mom left, the only thing that would put a smile on my face very temporarily was getting money and blowing mm -hmm. money. Um, I'd be sad. I'm going shopping. I'm happy. I'm going shopping. Whatever it was. No, we're talking about like making money. Like, How much are you making at this point? I was, I was making money. Um, 
Friday and Saturday, you know, um, guaranteed, you know, fifteen twenty thousand dollars each night because I had, you know, those I had customers that were by weight, so I'm mm-hmm. seeing fifteen twenty thousand dollars each each night, Friday and Saturday, um, and then throughout the week, you know, five to seven thousand dollars depending. And um, I realized I had so I, I I had people that would take my trips for me, you know, to go to reup. And I had this girl that that was her job. I used to pay her to to hit the road for me. And I said, man, I don't feel good. It was the middle of summer. I said, I don't feel good. I said, I feel like I'm getting a flu. And I used to trade her pills too and buy pills mm-hmm. off of her. Um, so she said, do you stop taking them pills? I said, yeah. She said, you're getting dope sick. And I was like, what? I was so offended. I was like, what the fuck? What did you say? She's like, you're getting dope sick. You're going through withdrawal. And I remember I was so disrespected and offended. I wanted to punch her in the mouth. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you fucking stupid. You're telling me, you know, she said, if you sniff a bag of dope, this is what's going through my head. I didn't verbalize it yet. So she said, if you sniff a bag of dope, you'll feel all better. I promise you. And then I was like, man, what the fuck is wrong with you? I said, you talking to me, you fucking stupid, you know, and got out of the car. And she ended up messaging me. It was like, look, I didn't mean to offend Mm -hmm. you. You know, I'm just trying to help you. So I had, at this time, I had a couple different spots. I was, I was getting money and I had some dope that wasn't that good. It was probably a five or a six out of 10. Mm -hmm. So in my head, I was like, you know what? I can sniff that six out of 10. Um, it's not like doing a 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did that night. I couldn't go to sleep. My body's gone through the withdrawals. I didn't know what it was. Um, and I sniff a bag of dope. And throughout the whole time, I know I'm I'm taking the mental steps. I'm going to get the dope. I get the dope. I'm opening it. I'm spreading the line out. I'm getting a straw. I'm doing all this. And I know instantly, Frank, you tripping. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Because this is the first time going from pills to dope. And I seen what it did to my whole family. I had mm-hmm. aunts that died from AIDS. I had family that overdose i seen what it did to my mom um mm-hmm. i seen this firsthand and i still did it and when i did it i felt better than i ever felt in my life mm-hmm. that experience was i understood why this shit grabbed people in a headlock mm-hmm. i understood why i did that not only did i feel good i had energy i was like like I seen the world differently and um, I was like, Oh my goodness, you know, slept good, woke up in the morning with energy. Happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I sniffed another bag and I was like, Oh shit. You know? Um, and I'm going up and I'm moving around and I'm doing stuff that when I was messing with the pills, they would put me down and I was, you know, I was like mm-hmm. all messed up and I'm moving and shaking and I was like, yeah, because oh. people see people do heroin and they're on the street nodding and stuff, yeah. but they don't understand that there's this phase yep. of like productivity. And Absolutely. I always tell people like, if you're on dope or even like strong opiates, and someone was like, you got to go paint that fence in a hundred degree weather, oh, you, you could do it with a smile on your face. Yeah, 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 a smile on your face. With a Q-tip, yeah, with you, a Q-tip. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, left-handed. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's that's what it was. And then I think just the routine of it, you know, keeping a, a bag of dope, mm-hmm. 
having a straw, you know, um, just all the routine of it, chasing it with, mm -hmm. with a little bit of water so it flushes through my sinuses, mm -hmm. just the routine of it, that first puff of a cigarette after, you know, sniffing a bag. Mm -hmm. I, I became in love with it all. Um, and I realized I hated, I didn't even like to look in the mirror at this time, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I started to realize I was like, hold up, this is something. My family, um, they knew a change in me, but they also knew, all right, he's seen his mom on that corner slab. Mm -hmm. Like, what could we tell him, you know? And for me, there was, and and I, and I, I was so gone at that moment that, you know, Dolly the sheep, <laughs> this was a thing where a sheep had been cloned in like Sweden, mm. um, and the sheep's name was Dolly. And I told myself, all right, if I could get up a couple million dollars, I could bring my mom back to life. I can clone my mom. I had a hairbrush. Uh, you know, I said, I could, if I, I get a couple million dollars, I could clone my mom. We can make this happen. And that's what I was, that's what I was running after. Um, but it, it wasn't, you know, to, to hear somebody, even now in this to day, this technology, you're like, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> You couldn't tell me it wasn't going to work. I was angry. I was hurt. I was lonely. I was everything. All emotions in one. And um, I knew I was fucking up, though. So then I ended up getting picked up by the attorney generals. Um, they had a case on me from, like, February or March. They picked me up in December. Um... I go to jail again. I got a five to ten this time um, for you know getting money, and uh, I'm in jail this time, and I'm really having it my way because prior to going to jail, I was visiting my cousin, and they they see me come with the nice car, mm -hmm. and they see me come with the big jewelry, you know, and this was at a time where you know you didn't see stuff like that. Um, and I'm coming into jail and I'm visiting my little cousin who had just got locked up and I'm putting money on his books and the, and the COs know me. And then two weeks later, I'm in that same jail and the COs tell me straight up, Hey, you remember me? I checked mm -hmm. you in that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you need anything, holler at me. I was like, all right. I was like, what the fuck? it's like, no, no, no. If you need anything, you know, holler at me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is he telling me what he think I what I think he's telling me? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, he was. You know, they was like, "This dude getting money. He's in the streets getting money." And the thing is about jail, especially when you go into the county prison, um, there. I might have done business with five people in that jail, but if you let the people tell it, fifty people in the jail said, mm -hmm. "No, he was getting money." Yeah. Listen, I had stories when I went into that jail. I had stories that dudes was like, "Yo, I heard you this." You know, your homie Eddie came home from jail and you took him shopping and gave him mm -hmm. $10,000. This shit never happened. Mm -hmm. But this is what the stories people, people were saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it came from the dude himself. I said, why would the fuck would he tell somebody a lie that I gave him $10,000 and took him shopping? But I said, that's just the way it works. That's the way the streets are. They're mm -hmm. so fucking phony and such an illusion. That's what it is. Um, so now, next thing you know, I'm in jail. I start going through withdrawal. And I'm starting to get money now in jail. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to do everything. I go upstate. I'm getting money. 
um, pick up habit numerous times in jail. I come home, um, and I, when I come home, I had, you know, I might've had like twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 saved up. Um, and I come home and I remember the point it dropped below $10,000 and I started to panic. And in the course of going to jail, I had people, family steal from me, uh, try to take my house, take my vehicles, take jewelry, mm -hmm. take motorcycles, all that shit. Cause that's what family does when you get locked up. You leave somebody with $20,000 and they'll say, and I just tell them, look, just send me $250 a month. That's all. Send me $125 every two weeks. That's all. Keep half of it. Just send me half. And they can't even do that. They'd be like, well, why does he need $125 every month? You know, every week. He don't need that. He needs $50 a week. Mm -hmm. They're telling you what you need out of your money. They're keeping your house. You put a car under such and such name. They're keeping that. Um, that's I had all that. And stuff they know out. you're doing gears. So they're like, yeah. man, that's so long to deal with. Exactly. It. They hear five to ten. And and at first I didn't even tell people how much time I was doing. Because I knew people were going to start acting funny. So mm -hmm. I didn't tell nobody. So I'm sure people knew that I was getting money. They're probably like, damn, this nigga getting 20 years or something. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, you know, I got caught with a bullshit ass case. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was. So I end up coming home. I crack below that 10,000 and I start to panic. So I said, all right, fuck, I'm going to just bust a couple moves. Um, stack up a quick $50,000. Open up my barbershop. In the course of this time, I had... When I was doing my time last, mm -hmm. before that, I got my barber's license, learned how to cut hair. I said, I'm going to stack up $50,000 and I'm going to open up a barbershop and I'm going to transition from the streets into this, into this uh, legit money. world. Mm -hmm. um, I end up getting my daughter's mother pregnant and uh, I start getting high again because I started hustling. And... Um, I'm in a halfway house in Philly, and at this time in Philly, there was, I, I was I was home before I went to the halfway house, and there was a lot of cops that was getting killed by dudes that was on parole. So anybody that had violence in their jacket, if you had a shooting, if you had mm -hmm. uh, guns in your in your in your record, they sent you back to a halfway house because all these cops were getting killed by dudes with violence. So I was one of those dudes that fell into that. Mm -hmm. um, my daughter was about to be born. They told me they was going to let me go. They didn't let me go. So I leave the halfway house, pack up, pack my shit. I'm out. And uh, go so I could be, my daughter could be born. Mm -hmm. that, that relationship was absolutely toxic with my daughter's mom. Um, three months later, I turn myself in. I go back to jail. What was supposed to be, you know, a six-month little bid just because I left the halfway house ends up turning into three and a half years um, because I cut somebody. Wow, so, so you're supposed to do six months, and because of your bad months. behavior, you did three years? Yep. I get kicked out of two different jails and go do three years, end up having to complete my sentence um, because I end up cutting somebody behind a drug that they owe me money, and I felt like they was taking too long to pay me and end up cutting them. Mm -hmm. um, going to jail, you know, while I'm in jail. Uh, and then I end up maxing my sentence out. 2012 uh i come home i had some jewelry left and i i sold my chain and opened up my barbershop um now when you get out this time are you trying are you clean are you trying to change your life like yeah. what's going on in your headspace are you like yep are you thinking like i'm getting too old for this my daughter 
my daughter. All I wanted to ever be was a good dad. I said, if I can cut just focus on being a good father, I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be a good, a good community member. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be everything else. I, if I'm just a good dad, because if I'm a good dad, I'm going to show my daughter how to treat her mother, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. I just focus on being a good dad. Fuck focusing on 10 different things. Just focus on being a good dad. If I'm a good dad, everything falls underneath that umbrella. So I was focused. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing good. Me and my daughter's mom, I end up leaving her. Um, she was, she would like play the, the I'm going to take your daughter. I'm not going to let you see her, that type of stuff. So I left her in the course of that. I end up meeting my wife now. Um, and my daughter's mom got jealous. So she knew about something that I had done in my past and said, look, you don't come home by Friday. I'm calling the cops. I'm giving them these pieces to the puzzle that they Mm -hmm. need. And I said, well, you got to do what you got to do. You know, I was, it was toxic where I had thought about like burying her, you know, killing her. And I said, my, my daughter's going to lose both her parents. Mm -hmm. So there was no way I was returning to that system. I mean, to that, to that situation. And uh, that's what she did. She called the cops. I get locked up. My bail was, like a punk ass $2,500. Mm-hmm. And when I left her, I had paid up. I was, I ended up living in my barber shop because when I left her, I just grabbed literally a bag of clothes and left and just was like, I'm done. You could have everything. I'm, I just need to get out of here before I do something bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started staying in my barber shop. So I went and paid my barber shop rent up for six months, you know, and put money ahead on electric bill and a heat bill. Um, and I had, maybe like $1,500 left to my name at the time. And um, my bail is $2,500. So I ended up needing like $800,000 mm-hmm. after it's said and done. Nobody in my family would give it to me. Wow. But. When you were, yeah. Yeah, I'm paying mortgages. I'm paying, giving you mm-hmm. money to go on vacation. I'm doing all that stuff. But at the same time, when I got locked up, I had a Mercedes and I had a BMW. And that same night, these family members took my, my Benz truck and they're driving around in it and they're, you know, taking my glasses out of it. And like, no, nah, every time Frank go to jail, he go for years. Mm-hmm. He don't need none of this. They're driving my truck around, driving my, 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 my Beamer around. Um, and I'm asking them, I'm saying, yo, I just need this. It's not like I'm in the streets. You know, I've been doing good. I'm going home to my business. I'll give you the money back in a week. That's all I need. Mm-hmm. Um, Nobody. No one would pay you eight hundred dollars. No. So it made me realize. Me and my wife are on the phone. We're scrambling. Like, all right, how are we gonna do this? We're not married at the time. We just got together a couple months. This is your current wife. Yep. So let me just back up a little bit. Um, I end up making bail. Right. We end up scrounging the money together. Um, and I end up making bail. Um, matter of fact, my my father was the one that that ended up uh, letting me borrow the money. Mm-hmm. So I come home, make bail. Um, and it, this, you know, I, I'm not expecting anything to really come out of this. Uh, I thought at worst, maybe I'll get drug court or something. You know, I'm going to play, I was going to play the addiction card even mm-hmm. though I was clean. Um, but I, I knew I had, and you know, addiction in my in my jacket. So that could mm-hmm. possibly work. Um, throughout the course of this, my wife now, she ends up getting pregnant. We end up, I end up falling in love with my wife. Like 
So we got to talk about it because honestly, I think I think the relationship you have with your wife is probably like the most interesting thing because mm-hmm. you just don't seem like a dude that like falls in love. Yeah. Like prior to this, it seems like women have been in your life, but you're not like no a lovey-dovey dude. You're not looking for romance. I had been through, you know, having girlfriends and having mess around with your homie while you locked up and have them take your money mm-hmm. and have them leave you. I've, I've been through all that shit. Um, my wife who at the time was my girl um so back in the day i met her originally because she was her and my sister were good friends Mm -hmm. um and we used to deal with each other but we both we i I was in the middle of my addiction she was in her addiction she had uh uh she was in a relationship with her child's father and we used to deal with each other over the years but i always told her i said yo when our I'm gonna come back and snatch you up when our when our paths cross when mm-hmm. we're both um, when we're both you know doing good and then our paths end up crossing you know and um, so we went out of town one day and there was like something something was going on we went to New Jersey and something was going on in the city you know and all the hotels were booked so we go to hotel after hotel 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 like five of them. They're all booked. So it got to the point where I would just pull up and she's like, just pull up. I'll run inside real quick and um, I'll go and find out if there's a room. So, you know, the first couple of times she goes, nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, and she comes out and she's like, there's a room. So I, I put the car in park, mm-hmm. get ready to hop out. She's like, no, 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 I got it. I said, what you mean? She's like, I paid for it. And I was like, she didn't know that that um before we left on that trip, I had heard her speaking to to her mother about how you know she just had like three hundred dollars to her name mm-hmm. um that's all she had. She had just got clean, she was living with her mother at the time um and I knew that that's all she had. She knew mm-hmm. that I had money at the time. Um, so she paid for it. So I was like, damn, she just spent that, you know, those $300 that she had, uh, she probably just blew that on a room for us knowing that I was going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. I offered here, I'll give you the money. She's like, no, 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 no. Um, it was just special. That to me was special alone. Not to mention I had always, our chemistry was just good together. Um, even in the midst of getting high and mm-hmm. all the bullshit. And then when we're not getting high, it was just even better. Um, so that, that was something that was special to me. And I was like, damn, that, that mm-hmm. I'm used to women wanting to be around me for my money because of my name, because of, uh, respect level, you know, all that other shit, all the superficial stuff. Mm-hmm. She didn't care about none of that. Do you think, like, how long did it take for you to be with her? To be like, damn, I'm in love with this girl. Pretty quick, pretty quick, because mm-hmm. she gave me a peace of mind. She put my mind at peace in the time when it was going through some of the most turmoil shit. Mm-hmm. When I went through losing my mother, that was hard. When I went through losing my daughter because of her mother, uh, not allowing me to see her, you know, like literally like 
if you want to see your daughter, you have to come and see me. You know, mm-hmm. like that type. Of, that was the worst shit I ever been through. That was, <laughs> that was, that was horrible. You know what I mean? That shit had me. I'm telling you, on the verge of committing homicide. Um, mm. And it was so crazy because I was like, I can't do that. That's my daughter's mom. I can't hurt her because I'm going to hurt my daughter. You know that that it was just so. I had never been through. Felt so powerless. Like that shit brought me down to tears. Mm. I didn't cry at my mom's funeral. That wow. shit brought me down to tears getting the paperwork saying I have to go to court for my daughter, you know, where I was like, hold up. I'm not a bad father. You know, um, that shit was just, it just blew my mind. And she brought me a peace of mind. You know, she was like, don't worry. Everything going to be all right. You know, she's like, we'll figure it out. And you know, that amongst other things and just the person she is, um, it just, it just, uh, was reassurance and comforting. And like I said, she she gave me a peace of mind for the first time, maybe in my whole life. I didn't have a peace of mind, but I had it when I was with her. Mm-hmm. And I realized, damn, this is special. Um, and then my family, my sisters, the people I cared about the most, they was like, you better not fuck this up. <laughs> you know, my sister, they don't like nobody. Mm-hmm. And they was like, you better not fuck this up. You have a good woman, um, you know, and numer- everybody said that. Everybody. And I was like, all right. And she loved me for me. We went from, you know, like I said, we went from back in the day, she used to count my money for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? She used mm-hmm. to. So she knew she that shit didn't matter to her. We went from, you know, from at one time having nice cars to having nothing, to sleeping on a fucking barbershop floor on an air mattress that didn't hold air the whole night. You know, we had to fill that bitch up in the middle of the night. And that didn't mean nothing to her. Mm-hmm. She was like, I don't care. As long as we're together, we're good. Um, that was priceless to me. Priceless. Priceless. I'm a, I'm a, I'm the type of person that I, I don't get close to many people. But if I do get close to you, I'm riding. We ride until the wheels fall off. Um, and that was what I found in her. And I found the same from her. Mm-hmm. You know, so I realized, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to return that to her. Um, you know, so she gets pregnant six months into her pregnancy and mind you all the course that we're going through bullshit with my baby mom, my baby mom tried to run us over. She was, she was six months pregnant, you know, hop the curb with her car, try to run us over, try to try to run her over, you know, all types of shit, Mm -hmm. everything you could think of. We've been through with my daughter's mom and she was always there and was like, don't worry, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. Um, and then December 23rd, two days before Christmas, um, I was supposed to get drug court. So drug court means I don't go to jail. I just participate in this outpatient drug program. And that's my sentence. And then at the last minute, my daughter's mom calls the the judge and the DA and says, yo, he don't have no drug problem. That's all lies. Blah, 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 blah. They give me a piss test. I don't have no drugs in my system. Mm. I told him, look, I had just stopped because I was getting drug court. You know, they end up, judge says, all right, we send you to jail. Uh, two to seven years, two and a half to seven years. Um, so I was like, oh, you know, can I at least have to after the holidays so I can, you know, I own a business. I got to set my shit up. Mm-hmm. He said, no, no, no. It was Friday. He said, I'll give you till Monday. He said, I'm telling you right now, if you do not turn yourself in on Monday, you're not, you know, I'm going to take that sentence back and give you more time. 
So I'm devastated. I go home. She's six months pregnant. Um, I feel I fell in love with her daughters who they're my daughters, you know, now um, I fell in love with them. I was I didn't have much, but I was happy. I, uh, there was no place else I would have rather you be. always love kids or is this just something that had happened to you? Um, kids, I liked them. Mm-hmm. I liked them, you know, um, but. I learned to to be different. I didn't have to be like through meeting my wife and and becoming a father and then becoming a father to her children that they're not biologically mine, but they're mine. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not mine through blood. They're mine through love. You know, mm-hmm. I learned to, I don't have to be this gangster. I don't have to be this motherfucker that get money. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be that. I could be a father. I could be a dad. I can let my kids paint my nails. They can mm-hmm. fucking put makeup on me. I don't mm-hmm. care about none of that. Um, that's that's what I like to be. That's what I want to be. That's the most important thing to me. Us as fathers, when we have girls, we are the first male that they will ever have a relationship with. So if we don't want our daughters mm-hmm. to be stepped on, we better set that bar set high. The standard. Exactly. Set mm-hmm. the put that motherfucker up in the sky. Um, and that's one thing I do with, with my children. I set that bar high, high. Um, and it, it, it just afford they, those girls, they loved me, you know, and it was, there was nothing, there was no strings attached. There was nothing that benefited them, you know, and, and her. So when I went to jail, um, I said, all right, I'm not, into none of the shit that I was in before. I'm getting money. None of that shit. It's all dead. Mm-hmm. Even though I'd be, you know, before I was sending $1,000 a week home, you know, on a normal basis, I said, I'm not doing none of that because I want to come home. I refuse to do anything that isn't going to put me home. Um, We get married throughout the course of us, me being in jail, we get married. She's there every single week with my son. My son ended up being bored. There every single week with my son um, and with my daughters. Make sure money's on the phone. Make sure I have the little bit that I need. Um, and I'm not used to that at all because I'm used to taking care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. I'm never. She just said. And I told. Listen, before I went to jail, I told her. I said, look, I've been through this before. I've had girls leave me. I said, just go do you. I said, I'll go to jail. I'll do my time. I said, and when I start winding down, once I get approved for parole, we'll pick back up and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pick back up. I said, I I just, I don't want you to do something and have me look at you differently. Cause once I cut somebody off, it's, they gone. Mm I've never, you know, I'm very good at burning a bridge. Um, and she got upset. She was like, what the fuck you mean? She's like, you think that I can't hold you down for these two years that I got to go to jail. She's like, well, what type of woman you think I am? You know, she's like, you go do what you got to do. I'll do what I got to do. She's like, you know, at the time she had wanted to become a nurse. She's like, this will give me the time I need to, uh, you know, go to school, be a nurse, all that. And that's exactly what she did. Um, and I started to realize, I was like, damn, she's investing in me. She's believing in me. She's investing in me and, and saying, 
I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, even though her, her last man went to jail and came home and then cheated on her and mm -hmm. then put his hands on her and all the bullshit. You know, she said, I'm, I'm going to wipe that clean. Um, and your whole track record. Exactly. exactly. So it's like, who's really going to bet against this guy? Even even with prison, it's like the, the system ain't set up for you to change your life. It's no, like not at all. such a small percentage of people that end up going to prison multiple, multiple times that don't go yeah. back. It's not conducive to, to change. It's not conducive mm -hmm. to success. It's almost the opposite. Yeah. It is the opposite. Exactly. Um, and, and one thing, gratefully, that people can't say about me um, is I was always, if I told you I was going to do something, that's exactly what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't going to tell you, all right, I'm going to be there. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I do otherwise. I wasn't, you know, the type of dude that was climbing in your back window and all that mm -hmm. dumb shit. Um, you know, so that was a good thing. I, I always had a, 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 a good face. You know what I mean? That they knew, okay, he's a solid dude. He might be on some dumb shit might do this and that but he's a solid dude mm -hmm. um so you know i just said she's investing in me i have to give her a return on my investment so we get married she's there for me um i come in home prison in prison every single week put money on she my visits phone. you every single every week single for week. two years every single week two and a half years every single week driving three hours uh to visit you is three hours yep with my son mm -hmm. um we speak every day on the phone i couldn't ask for more i couldn't ask for more um i come home december 23rd 2015 she picks me up and it's like it's heaven you know i'm like this is what i waited for uh and i was fucked up because it's two days before christmas and we got children and I can't provide for them. I'm used to, you know, I'm mm -hmm. a giver. That's the way I show my affection. I give people stuff um, still to this day. And I can't do that. But she said, she's like, yo, we would go out to eat. We would go to buy the kids stuff. Mm -hmm. And she's giving me her bank card and saying here, so I could pay. So I could give the waitress, so I could tip the way, you know, all that shit. Just to save me face. Mm. So she could be like, I know what you're used to. And even though you can't do that, I'm going to make it look like you can. Here, you pay, you know. Um, and it's not my money. It's her money, you know. And that just, that was, and never threw it in my face. Never. Mm -hmm. So Christmas, cool. Everything goes good. Um, six months after I'm home, I'm fighting through custody on a normal basis to see my daughter. They're telling me I got to go supervise visits. Her mom is doing the supervised visits. Um, we're living with her mother for the first couple months. And then my son, we're sleeping on an air mattress again. My son rolls off the air mattress. The one you met major and almost mm -hmm. falls, you know, off a loft. And I realized, damn, I need to get my shit. I need, I need to put some, I need to get busy. So I start doing everything I can. I'm, I open the barbershop back up. I'm selling fucking fire broken jail amazon sticks mm -hmm. um i'm selling i'm you know i paint i'm selling paintings i'm i'm selling everything to try to make some money I, I, but i told myself that there's no more streets is done mm -hmm. everything legal i'm gonna do how old are you at this point 35 35 that's when i finally got my shit together um 35 36 years old and i'm 
I'm home for six months. We're doing good. We finally, you know, we get a car. We get our own little apartment. Start getting furniture. Little by little, we're making it work. And then April 24th, um, the judge, mind you, I got everything I get with my daughter, I got to go through custody. And she's there with me the whole step. Um, and the judge says, okay, I asked for a vacation. You know, I want to take my family on vacation. They say, yeah, go ahead, get approved. My daughter's mom, as I'm going to pick her up on a Saturday, she takes my daughter and leaves with her so I can't take her on vacation. So that was like my first big hurdle when I came home. Um, and I was always the type of person I never used because I wanted to feel high. I used to kill my pain to self-medicate. Mm-hmm. So that was my first real test when I came home and I fucking failed it. Um, we go to Philly and I say, let's take the kids to the zoo. We were supposed to go to the beach. I said, no, let's take the kids to go. We'll go to Philly. We'll go to the zoo. I had called my homie. I say, yo, when I pull up, give me a pound, slide me off two bags. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Sunday morning we leave. I leave my wallet at home, uh, you know, bank card, we get, we're driving over there. We get pulled over, fucking get a flat tire. Um, I go to see my homie. He's not picking up his phone. Little did I know that he just didn't have the the nerve to tell me no. no. He just didn't want to serve you. Exactly. That's was going to be his thing. He said, oh, no, no, no. Um, so I went and cop from somewhere else. Something, you know, I don't really do. And we come home and I got to wait for my wife and the kids to go to sleep. My wife is in recovery. She knows. And, and the thing with me is I was like, I'll sneak and I'll use, but I'm not going to do that to my wife. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to do that to her. So I was like, I'll wait until everybody go to sleep and I'll get high. Fucking kids is bouncing off the walls. These little <laughs> motherfuckers do not want to go to sleep. And then I end up falling asleep. I wake up at one o'clock in the morning and the whole house is asleep. And I'm like, oh, finally, I can go in the bathroom, sniff that bag. I bought two bags, go in the bathroom, close the door, bust it open, sniff it. I wake up three days later in the hospital, tube in my neck, IVs, all that shit. Uh, Fentanyl had came around. My son, he was uh, two, three years old at the time. He was sleeping in the bed with us. He woke my wife up and said, Mommy, where's Papi at? It's two o'clock in the morning. She had the presence of mind. And my son, like, that was God that woke mm-hmm. him up. She yeah, if he didn't wake up, she don't wake up. She would have found me in the morning dead. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a nurse. She comes. Um, I'm uh, no pulse, no breathing, nothing, no heartbeat. She's trying to work on me to wake me up because she's like, damn, if I call the police, they, 911, he might go back to jail. She's like, let me just see if I can get him up. Can't get me up. My wife is tiny. I'm not. I'm not a huge dude, but I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not small either. Um, you know, I wake up in a hospital. I don't know what happened. I just wake up and I see them fucking bright lights and I know my throat hurts and I can't talk. End up getting out of the hospital and I go to rehab. And at first, like the first, I say like, three or four weeks when I got out of the hospital, it felt like I was in somebody else's body. Um, like the motor the, skills? It just took me a little bit longer to take a step. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to think about everything. And the doctors told me, they was like, look, you was without air for a while. Um, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen here. We don't know, you know, and, and I was telling them what I was feeling. And they was like, well, you know, we, we, we don't know. We, time will tell. Um, and, but when I'm in this, this rehab, man, listen, I'm focused. I'm in that bitch in the front row with a notepad and a pencil, bam, 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 taking notes as if I'm going to get a test when I'm done at that 28 days. And and if I win that test, they're going to give me a million dollars. That's the way I'm taking it. Um, dudes is talking. I'm like, yo, shut up, go in the hallway. And I'm telling them, I'm like, this might not, y'all might be here just because your PO said it. I'm here for my life. This is my Mm -hmm. life. And uh, that's the way I took it. And that's really what it takes. Yeah. Like, if you don't have that mentality, like, it ain't going to happen. Yep. Where I realized, I was like, this is life and death for me. And I had Mm -hmm. been in the streets. I had niggas hiding up under my car trying Mm -hmm. to kill me. I've had, you know, I've been in those situations. Um, This was different. This, I felt like. I had the power over this. I made the decision to sniff that bag. Mm-hmm. In the streets, it was repercussions. You know, um, this is different. So I just said, man, I, I got to do this. There's no way that I'm going to let my child bury me and break his heart the same way I had my heart broken when I had to bury my mom. I said, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that to my kids. I'm not having somebody else raise my my, my family. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to leave my wife out here. I made a, a, a promise to her. I got you. I said, I got you, you know, um, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not breaking my word for nobody. And I come home and I'm good going to programs, going to meetings, meetings heavy. And then I fuck up again. And it was an isolated relapse. Um, and I realized, all right, I got a little comfortable. I thought I was a little stronger than I was. And I realized that was humbling. I needed that. Mm -hmm. And it was humbling. And, um, since then, you know, I just made seven years in September. Both me and my wife, we That's celebrate awesome. a, a week after each other. Mm-hmm. I got a week first and then, I mean, I got seven years and then the next week she gets hers. Um, and it's been a blessing, man. It's been a blessing. And it hasn't been easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's been worth it. And we've we've had our marriage tested. I've, you know, I've done shit that I'm not proud of as a man as a husband, I haven't been the best husband. You know, there was a time in our relationship where where I was unfaithful to my wife um, because I, I started to feel myself. You know, I started to, 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 to dig myself and started to get a big head and, and, and started to realize, you know, started to, to take for granted everything that I had. And you know, it, it just quickly, it, it literally took two seconds for me to realize, ho, ho, this isn't, this isn't what I want to be doing. This isn't what I should be doing. And it was, that shit was so foreign to me, you know, to, to be like that. And it was, it was the best and the worst thing that could ever happen to our marriage. And to, to me as, as a man and as a husband, um, you know, cause it was like a, a certain line was crossed of, of being faithful, but there was other lines that wasn't crossed as far as being intimate or, you know what I mean? It was just, I I put myself in a bad situation. I shouldn't have done something, but there also wasn't lines that were crossed, you know? And for some fucking nut ass reason, I needed that, Mm -hmm. um, to put my shit in check and to be like, ho, ho, 
what am I doing? Um, and you know, like I said, I, now, I did you that. voluntarily tell her? I didn't at first. I didn't at first. Um, it took a while. And then, and then I told her, I was like, I was like, man, this is robbing you of your peace of mind. Um, and I thought, I thought that if I didn't tell her, it would give her a peace of mind. And then I had to remember, hold up. She, she gave me, she gave me my peace of mind. Mm -hmm. So I know what it, I grew up without a peace of mind. So I said, that's the yeah, horrible It's always shit. like, would you want to know? You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and I'm the type of person, listen, I'm be brutally honest with me. Mm -hmm. If my breath smell like shit, tell me mm -hmm. I'm cool. I can handle it. You know? Um, so I said, you know, I, I had to have that conversation. I say, look, you, do you want me to tell you what's up? Cause I see what this does and, and I don't like that. Just me as a man, because I would never ever allow somebody to make you feel like this without doing some horrible shit, but I'm doing this to you. Like what type of man is, you know, what type mm -hmm. of example am I setting for my sons? What type of man am I being to you? Um, and we just had to bust it up. We went to counseling, you know, and, and how long did you all go to counseling for? Uh, maybe about a year. Wow. And it's, and, and the thing is though, is that, <clears throat> is that I understand that just because we went to counseling, just because I've been honest, just because I moved on, doesn't mean that's the same case. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, just doesn't mean that you can't, I can't cut her and tell her how much to bleed, mm. you know, or to be like, yo, don't make a mess with that blood. I can't do that. You know, that's, that's, uh, I gave that power up when I made the decision that I made. So it, you know, it, it, it took, it took sadly that to happen for me to realize, all right, you know, I'm, I'm, I need to, I need to get my shit right. You know, I'm saying one thing and I'm doing another and I've never been the type of person what you see is what you get. What I say is what I'm going to do. Um, I've never been the type of person to say, you know, my, my, my handshakes don't match my smiles. Mm -hmm. And once it started being like that, I was, I didn't like it. I was like, I don't like this. I don't, this isn't, this isn't me. This, you don't deserve this. I don't, I just don't like this. And, um, you know, we, we found a way to work through it. Um, and I just realized that, you know, I need to, to, to act accordingly in all spaces and all times and never forget, um, once again, that she invested in me, not with money, but with her time and with mm -hmm. her life, with her energy, with her love, you know, and I need to give a return on that investment. How long have you been together now? Uh, 10 years, 11 years, going on 11 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, like I said, it, you know, she's a pain in the ass. I'm a pain in the ass. <laughs> we figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, she, we, you know, just a couple months ago, my sister, the one that she was real close with, you know, she died from an overdose and she had to come home from work and tell me. And, you know, I brought my sister to my house to try to get her clean things didn't work and she would always be in contact with my sister and you know they always kept a friendship and she would try to be there for my sister as much as she could and I was always the one that was like I told my sister I said look until you're ready to get clean don't holler at me um and then you know she's gone now and you know that was 
I was just like, that shit was, you know, was was crazy to me. She comes home from work. And I was like, I still remember it. You know, she walked in the room. She was like, I got to talk to you. And I was like, damn, what you doing? She's just like, I got to talk to you. And I was like, what's up? She's like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, what you mean? She's like, tell me, you know. And I was like, it didn't process. I was like, huh? What? I said, well, hold up, hold up. You know, I was like, whoa, hold up, hold up. What you mean? You know, she was like, oh, your sister's gone. You know, they found her dead. Um, she overdosed. You know, and uh, that was, you know, one of those things, too, where a little part of me wanted to get high. And then I was like, no, I have to, you know, like, if, I, if, I, if I'm telling people, yo, learn from your mistakes, mm -hmm. I got to learn from my mistakes. Um, you know, and I just remembered and, and remembered it to, you know, the, the work that I do in Kensington plays a big part and it helps to keep me clean um, because I see every single week what I stand to lose if I think I could have both. And by both, I mean drugs and my life now. I just can't have it, you know. It's, it's not going to happen. Um, I just understand that now, mm -hmm. you know. And um, I try to do the work. And I think, you know, a part of me also is like, I wasn't able to save my sister. Maybe I could save your sister or somebody else's sister. Because even throughout the course of that, my family would tell me, yo, you're going down there and you're like risking your life at times for people, but you won't even talk to your sister, you mm -hmm. know? And I was just like, I can't do it. Cause so my sister, you know, um, everybody in the city, when my sister started getting high, we started getting high together after my mom passed. And we both, you know, first we would do it. I would get high. She'd get high with her friends, you know, uh, whatever. And then once I found out, she started getting high. I said, all right, let me, I'm going to give you the drugs so you don't have to go out and do whatever you got to do or, you know, none mm -hmm. of that shit. Because she would, my sister was brave. She would be tell people, yo, Frank said, uh, give him this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And they call me and be like, yo, your sister, I gave this to your sister. She said, and I said, well, what you mean? When, when was the first time I ever told you to give something to my sister? That should have been the first clue. Mm -hmm. I said, well, chalk it up, you know. Um, so one time I put the word out that my sister went missing. So I put the word out there. I said, yo, if I catch anybody serving my sister, um, there's going to be some issues. Mm -hmm. So one of my homies called me. He said, yo, I just went into a house. Your sister is in there with two of her girlfriends and the three of them are getting high. He's like, I just, he's like, I, I seen she was in a room with her other girlfriend. Um, he said, I left the back door open for you. I said, bet. So I go shoot through the projects shoot into the back door, go upstairs, and I end up kicking the door down. She's in there with her two girlfriends getting high. I snatch my sister out, um, you know, grab her purse, throw her in the car, and I said, yo, I'm taking you to rehab right now. I didn't understand. This is when I, this is just a couple months after. I, I was still addicted to pills at this time. Mm -hmm. I haven't even stepped over the dope yet. I didn't understand the way addiction works. So I say, yo, who who are you who's serving you and i said i'm gonna ask you this and you're gonna tell me and and my sister uh i used to get crazy for her you know what i mean like protected yeah bad mm -hmm. you know like bad bad um so she knew 
my brother's going to get crazy. So I said, you need to tell him. I said, I'm going to ask you one time and that's it. And I said, you're going to tell me and that's it. So I said, who, who's serving you? And she wouldn't tell me. So I looked over at her purse, dumped her purse over. And uh, I seen a bundle. I go grab a bundle and I look at the stamp and it was my stamp. Oh no, wow. It was my stamp. Yep. Um, And that's shit like, I, I was just going through a, 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 a whirlwind of emotions. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's my stamp. I'm giving my, I'm, I'm providing my sister with her drugs. And you're on pills, so you don't think you're an addict either to, to you. Mm-hmm. People this who was, do heroin are totally very, different. Very early in my pills. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I probably had even realized that it was becoming an issue. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm providing my sister with her, with her fucking dope. So I, I was still looking for somebody to blame. Though. I said, who gave you this? And she was like, I got it out of your safe. So somehow she found a way to get in my safe. Mm-hmm. And I was supplying my sister with her drugs without knowing. And I would thought stuff would be missing, money would be missing, you know, but I was like, eh. Um, and I realized what I'm feeling right now, I've been making other families feel. Wow. You know what I'm saying? I I made a lot of other families feel like that. I had mm-hmm. a situation, you know, with a dude, he wanted some credit and I was like, no. He said, look, I'll pay you back tomorrow. And he said, look, just come in my house and see if you like something. And he's like, I'll give you the money back tomorrow. I just need mm-hmm. to wait 12 o'clock for my check to clear. We went in the house and his kids were playing fucking Xbox when Xbox first came out. And we're walking through. I said, look, there's nothing I want. You know, and I, I just went into the house just to just appease, to appease him. him. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's all it was. Um, I didn't want nothing. I knew he didn't have nothing. And he ripped the fucking controllers out of his kids' hands. And was like, here, take the X. And the kids are crying. And I was like, yo, what are you doing? And I gave the kids the controllers back and I called them outside. I said, yo, don't ever do that shit. You know what I mean? To your kids ever again. I said, here, take that. You know, I'll see you tomorrow. And I realized like all this stuff cards started coming back to me. Um, and I realized, damn, I'm doing this shit to other people's families. Mm. And it's cool because it's not my family. But it ain't no fun when the rabbit got the gun. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, wow. Yeah. And it, you know, all that stuff. And I, so I felt a lot of guilt with my sister because I was, you know. You think that's another reason why you go to Kensington? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, like, my family knows, probably knows mm-hmm. that. My wife, they're, you know, they're not stupid. They, they know. Um, and I think that's probably why she's so gracious and, mm-hmm. like, maybe that's part of his healing process, uh, whatever. I definitely think it is. Um, you know, as crazy as it as it sounds or as it is, and I just, you know, two weeks ago lost somebody I was very close with in Kensington that I was there for his first interview, you know. And um, it was like, you know, it's just like, man, this shit is, it's taxing doing what I do, mm-hmm. you know. It's, it's very taxing. Um, but it, it you know, it, I think it serves a greater good and it also keeps me reminded very much so. And it, it's just, 
now it makes me ashamed to see what I was once a part of mm -hmm. and what I once participated in. And once I, you know, the destruction that I caused and I was like, man, you know, when I first got clean, I was like, I don't want to, I want to go and build up where I once destroyed. Um, I'm not about destroying no more. I'm about building. And it makes me embarrassed now and shameful to see um, what, what I, what I contributed to at one mm -hmm. time. Um, you know, and I, I really didn't realize that until one of my homies sent me a text. I felt it. I didn't know how to verbalize it. Mm -hmm. And one of my homies, Ace, he sent me the text and he was like, yo, he's like, it makes me embarrassed when I drive through the hood and see the boys on the corner, the young boys and, you know, and all that shit that we used to once be a part of. And as soon as I read that, I was like, damn, he verbalized what Where I emotionally feeling? felt. Mm -hmm. And it's a hundred percent true. And that's why I go to schools and I go to the penitentiaries and I go to the rehabs and I go everywhere. Anybody that'll listen, I'll share my story with them. And I tell them, yo, I'm not here to preach to you. I'm not here to talk down to you. None of that shit. I'm going to tell you what I got, what I did, what it got me. And if you still think it's a good idea, by all means, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to tell you what it got me. And, um, you know, that's, that's what I'm on now is, is I just, I realize I don't want to destroy no more. I just, I want to be about building. Mm -hmm. um, life is too precious. You know, if, if, if at 16, they told us you can have any car in the world, <laughs> any car in the world, mm -hmm. you just have to keep that car until the day you die. We would take care of that bitch. We get our tires rotated. We get our gas, good gas. We'd clean it. We wouldn't let people smoke on it. We wouldn't be slamming on the brakes and mm -hmm. the gas, all that shit. We'd take care of it. But we don't do that same thing with our bodies. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think so many times, so many of us that have been in the penitentiary have been abused, have been done wrong. You know, um, we think we're damaged goods almost. And we don't realize that, you know, some of the greatest shit comes from, you know, diamonds come from pressure mm -hmm. and trees, these beautiful fucking trees. You can't take that seed and put it out on the concrete. The sun is going to burn it up. You got to, you got to dig a you hole. You got to plant it. You got to put mm -hmm. the mud on it, you know, and, and the water on it. And every once in a while, a dog will come by and mm -hmm. take a shit and a piss on it. Mm -hmm. And this beautiful tree comes from it. And that's like us, you know, that's what I tell the brothers in the penitentiary. Um, you know, that's, that's us. We're those seeds that, that have been through the shit mm -hmm. and been through the piss and been buried. And they counted us out and said, nah, you're just going to be a loser. You're going to be a dope fiend. You're going to be a junkie. You're just going to be a jailbird. You're going to spend the rest of your life in the penitentiary. Um, that's us, you know. But once we realize it don't have to be me, that's, you know, that don't have to be the extent of it. We flourish. We take off. Um, we just have to realize we're worth it. We have to realize, you know, people used to tell me, Frank, you need to love yourself. You need to love you. And I thought <laughs> that was the corniest shit in the world. Yeah. And I said, no, I do. I, you know, I, when I first started getting clean and, and I was able to brush my teeth and I look in the mirror and I tell myself, that's where my Instagram name came from. King Frank. I used to tell myself, I'm a king. Mm -hmm. I'm a beast. That's, you know, if I'm a king, I'm First only going to- affirmations. Exactly. I'm going to say, I'm a king, I'm a beast, I'm a monster. Mm -hmm. And and if I'm a king, I got to hold my, my myself so that's to king status. And I mm -hmm. can't put nothing in my body, can't let nobody around me that isn't worthy enough, you know? And it was just sort of like hypnotizing myself mm -hmm. and telling myself, I have, this is what I have to do because it's, it's about life or death, 
you know, for me, that's the way it is. I've, like I said, I've, I've had those situations in the streets where I shouldn't be alive. Motherfuckers hiding up under my car to kill me, light Mm -hmm. my whole car, you know, um, I've had those situations more than once. And me waking up in that, in that hospital with a tube down my throat and not knowing what happened, I realized, hold up, you know, Mm -hmm. I gave my life to the streets. I gave my life to the penitentiary. I gave my life to drugs, give my life to myself, give my life to my family. Mm -hmm. Let me try that for once. And it's paid off in spades. Hey, well, I appreciate you coming on the show. I know your story is going to help so many people. Um, I really, you know, pray that you get on like so many podcasts, like your testimony Mm -hmm. is so amazing. And I know people who have amazing stories, but they're not gifted at telling it. Like Mm -hmm. you have an amazing story and you're gifted at telling it and you have this like crazy platform. And uh, like, I just really appreciate you coming here, getting vulnerable, talking about changing your life. And um, I get messages all the time like, yo, your podcast helps so many people. But it's Mm -hmm. like a lot of times, like I've been doing it for so long that sometimes I like forget why I'm doing it. Of course. And like just sitting here with you, I'm like, you know, it, it. I feel like the exact same way, you know, it's because like I've seen so many people die. Like I've done so much dirt in my life and it's yeah. like, um, sometimes I wonder like, why am I always doing this stuff? I don't have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't make no money off the, like yeah. I don't make no money off the podcast, yep. you know? So it's like, uh, it really is sometimes the only time I get any type of peace, yeah. you know? So I appreciate you. I thank you, brother. Uh, I thank you for your hospitality. I thank you for your graciousness. I thank you for your platform. And, and I, you know, if there's anything that I could be a service of. You already um, did. I appreciate you. you. Yeah. I, I thank you, brother. I, I want to see you win at life and everything you do. And um, I thank you, brother. Seriously. Appreciate you. Hell has an exit. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Thank you, bro. Thank you. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.